everybody. Welcome back to the Be There in Five podcast. A place where your latest friend brings you the latest. <laughs> you try, trying on different hats here, you know, bear with me. Um, I'm Kate Kennedy, your host. And uh, I'm an entrepreneur, author, podcast host, pop culture commentator. I live in Chicago. And I just love to chat with you guys about what I'm interested in, in in the realms of pop culture influencers and anything in the millennial zeitgeist or lifestyle that I think is worth a discussion and that I see people talking about perhaps in you know Facebook groups or in Instagram DMs or whatever but not necessarily in, in, in the mainstream. This podcast is long form by design not by accident. I'm not not getting to the point. The point is the the tangents is the discussion. As a solo host, it's a weird format for people to get used to. But if you're new here, I invite you to stay. Would love to have you stick around. Because today I want to talk about something that is kind of highly is highly requested in a sense. Given that one of the more popular episodes of series I've done is about Mormon mommy bloggers, and there are a few different you know aspects of uh, my fascination with this sector I want to talk about today. One in particular that I could not have more to talk, more to say that you guys have told me to pay attention to for forever, and you know me better than I know myself because this person is right up my alley, nay, right up my lane, my 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 turtle creek lane, if you will. It's weird how attached to people you can get. It's like every day of our life, then through their stories, it's like experiencing a miniature reality show where I get to know their families and lives and decor and milestones, and especially when you find yourself in a situation where you're following somebody that is so consistently committed to content is so there's so much going on aesthetically um and beyond that lives so lavishly and extravagantly so beyond anything within your realm that is normal to you it's just like so incredibly entertaining and fun to talk about there's not a lot of people i can talk to about these things and certainly not in my real life and probably not in yours at least we have each other (laughs) um it's it's funny too to think back like being a little over a year from the first mormon mommy blogger series how much has changed, how much that kind of affected the trajectory um, of the podcast. It was honestly like the first major risk with the podcast I'd ever taken. And then from there, I just kind of was like, I ripped off the bandaid. And I was like, let's go. <laughs> let's go on Greek life. Let's go in on purity culture. Let's let's go in on, on Bumble, on TikTok, on Bridesmaids. Let me, let me talk to you about Call Her Daddy, a podcast people so staunchly love that they give people death threats over. But for some reason, all of a sudden, I felt like I needed to tell you my dilemma between exploitation and empowerment that nobody asked for. I think that the starting with Mormon mommy bloggers, even though today is not like an official extension, I still kind of am going to go on theme here and, you know, kind of resurrect my feelings toward this fascinating sector, if only for a moment. Um, but I think that that was kind of one of the first times, you know, I had done the Jaclyn Hill deep dive. I had done the influencer proposal. I was kind of starting to be like, this is kind of what I wanted to do is have a combination of uh, skimming through a lot of different topics and diving, skimming, diving, and then interviews on occasion, mostly a solo podcast. This is what I was starting to strategize. And that series gave me permission. You guys gave me permission. You guys made made me feel there, that there was value in depth and there was value in almost uh, obsessive levels of detail where we can explore the ins and outs, the nuance, the black, the white, the gray, every aspect of an issue together. Maybe it's sometimes too long-winded, too exhaustively, but you allowed me to own more of what is my style and what very much is the thing I was actively always discouraged to do as a podcaster. And for that, I'm so grateful. I also think the interesting thing looking back on that too is I don't know if like at that time I'd really kind of explained or linked 
where my vested interest really stems from and not like a traumatic sense of anything crazy but like almost the story being in like the subliminal ways in which organized conservative southern um religious youth groups and camps and you know retreats and lock-ins and uh, all the times i got my soul saved at like a bonfire all the, these things i experienced in my life that weren't a product of my family my family went to church on sundays were largely normal my parents are awesome and supportive and support my independent thinking and doing my own thing and i've always been so encouraging of uh you know following my arrows so to speak almost to the point where it's confusing that i was so swept away with like a lot of these more extreme religious groups but i wanted to go where my friends were going and i had so many experiences rotating through different denominations of uh consistent youth groups and bible studies and camps and whatnot that i very much have a background in um what was the start of me potentially being very sucked into an incredibly restrictive religious framework that i wholeheartedly do not identify with anymore i'm almost alarmed in retrospect that despite this being the ages of like 10 to 15 a, my parents like weren't even like really aware because I don't know. Say, like, hey, mom, how are you? Got my soul saved. You're going to hell, I heard, because you haven't given your soul to Christ publicly because you're Catholic. You know what I mean? Not really like great breakfast convo. Um, but this is the, those are the things I was told. You're told how to like you should perceive other people, how you should judge other people that you know think anything differently than you do. If somebody thinks differently than you do, they're wrong. They're going to hell. They're the problem. You shouldn't for a second. No, God, no. Don't don't you dare consider a dissenting opinion, a well-intentioned advice from somebody else to maybe be valid. No, you should assume they're wrong. They tell you how to feel about your body and your image and your agency and your choices and your future, your role as a woman. And all of these things that grown adults are presenting as truth, you just kind of take because you're being a sponge and you're young but what you don't realize is like these are the formative years when you're absorbing so much and you're developing in such a fast pace these uh, people's input are kind of becoming an essential part of the framework of the way you see the world that you don't really dismantle and recalibrate till you're much older and think about the origin of why you think the way you do and i think religion is such a fascinating thing that is so deeply important to people that I never, ever want anybody to feel like I'm overstepping bounds and disrespecting their belief system. But it has nothing to do with beliefs and nothing to do with doctrine. But I think culture is on the table to discuss, and I think that religions operating as business entities are on the table to discuss. And moreover, what I think is important, and the kind of even the nexus of the Mormon Mommy Blogger series, was me trying to identify a correlation between the, the perceived perfection that was the common thread specifically amongst women who identified as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. There was a level of perfection of beauty, of the way they dressed, of their very quick courtships and their very early marriages, having so many kids by the age of 25. Beyond that, appearing to have such amassed immense wealth by their mid-20s, that's utterly unrelatable. Uh, there's almost a concerning lack of vulnerability in a world that prioritizes being relatable over aspirational. These people are doubling down on perfection that that is confusing and you want to believe it, but you're also like, what's really going on here? And then I worry, I'm like, are, are people comparing the lives of these people that operate within a really specific context of, of their values and the requirements of their faith? that people are almost incorrectly projecting onto their lives and comparing their lives to when the rest of us don't really operate in a world or context that is conducive to what they're doing, nor should we. I, I, I really think that there are implications of, uh, like, when bloggers are, you know, a, all a part of something that has a very, like, restrictive lifestyle, to be honest, like, and they appear a certain way, even if they're not explicitly stating 
you know, how the, how they identify with their faith. It's exuded in absolutely everything they are and everything they do. And it's and has completely outlined the structure of their entire life, <clears throat> as many religions do. But there's something about Mormons you start to notice is just like, I don't know, unusually like positive. And you can't decide if it's genuine or vacant. <laughs> like, and I don't mean to generalize, but I mean, you know, as influencers, a lot of pe- a lot of you are Mormon. I'm, I'm just as I'm amazed that I have friends that are bloggers. I'm amazed that I have listeners who are Mormon who have stuck with me and who hopefully understand my intentions are good. But I, I think that if you're within this and you don't realize why people are fascinated by it, that's surprising to me because while it is a Christian faith, it is marked by a lot more restriction, a lot more requirement. And a, a more pa- patriarchal structure that I, I, I regressive might be a strong word, but relative to the modern society we live in, or maybe the feminist ideals that I believe in that I project on other other people, it's it's a it's a surprisingly unchanged relative to the rest of the world. And there's a huge emphasis on the role of a, of a woman as a as a as a mother and as a wife, and a huge pressure on people to get married young, as the you know the singles wards start from the age of eighteen with the intention to date to marry to find a life partner. Um, there is an immense uh, emphasis on a woman's role in the home, which is important. But what I think is so impressive and worth, you know, talking about is is how many of these women have made their homes into their product and into their business and, and, and created these incredible business models that they ultimately became their breadwinners. And I think it's kind of this interesting modern injection into this Mormon structure that they're very much following but in a strange way, using that as their core revenue stream, then I kind of will tailspin about the implications of projecting this lifestyle and level of perfection. And it's completely unattainable and at times feels like showing off and not sharing. And you know the whole thing. I examined this at the beginning just to be like, why are all these people so beautiful, so in shape, so many kids, so young, so rich, et cetera, et cetera. Then you come to realize there are small things you can, you know, correlate with behaviors like, okay, you don't have sex until you're married. You get married fast. That's why, you know, you have a three month, you met somebody three months ago, you got married. Okay. It's concerning. But as I always say, it's important for me to convey the differences that exist between a person on the outside being like, oh, wow, she met her boyfriend three months ago and they're already engaged. I, my person's not even calling me their boyfriend yet. Why aren't I engaged? Does nobody love me? I want that fast of a courtship. How romantic. Sweep me off my feet. But it's imperative that we understand that marrying, you know, a fast courtship in the context of a really small denominator of people that all share identical values, that are all held to the exact same rigid standards, the, the risk you incur marrying somebody within that pool is so much lower than in the rest of the world. And I don't want young women looking at these people as examples for how their dating life should go. I don't want people looking at this as an example of where you should be in your life as 25, at 25. Because then, you know, another small connection you'll make is like, okay, there's tremendous wealth that exists within the Mormon church. The Mormon church is sitting on mounds of cash to the tune of over $100 billion. We'll get into that later. I have my separate issues with that. There's immense wealth within the church and they take care of their own and there's a community element there that's obviously going to be cyclical and you're going to hire within it. And people that have money within the church, give people within the church jobs. (laughs) They take care of their own. And I think like there's just this cycle of wealth that exists, period. Beyond that, I think, you know, I've read with my own two eyes the literature that exists on the website. It's almost exhaustive conversation about the importance of a woman's role, first and foremost, as a wife and mother, which are important things. And I am a wife and I hope to be a mother someday. But you're so much more than that. 
And I think that you pursue your own independence and career in tandem. And so that's, those are the messages I don't want to get lost to when we idolize these influencers. Because while they have made their own careers for themselves, and I will not discount their success for a second, I do think it's kind of this tricky balance of... I just I, When I think about like the realm of influence and how you can trivialize it all you want or think these people don't move the needle, but they do. And sometimes I think about the implications of like projecting this, you know, kind of very traditional uh, family structure, uh, these really traditional gender roles... But women have options. <laughs> like, we can be both. Uh, we can have, we can do all the incredible things that are so feminine and unique to women that it's a beautiful thing that we get to do, but also still be feminists and, and, and work toward equality. And I think that I go crazy when I think about the people that are most influential. And if they're not, you know, if they're not, you know, promoting the importance of, of not just like settling down and marrying the first guy you date in a few months. Like, no, that should not apply to your life. It doesn't work that way. Like don't idolize this situation. I look around, I'm like, we have such a low percentage of, of female CEOs of fortune 500 companies, so many less female government officials than male. We have the wage gap that not only is unconscionable to begin with from women and men in general, but then from white women to women of color, we have a lot of work to do as women. (laughs) And I don't, well, I think there's so much entertainment value in all of this. And I will I will talk about home decor till the cows go home. I will, I want to be an escapist medium. I also want to be a medium that finds meaning in things. And I love to talk about Mormon mommy bloggers because I think they're a fascinating anomaly that we'll never quite understand being on the outside of the religion. And the religion itself is just interesting because it's just, it, it doesn't really look the same as a lot of our situations <clears throat> because it asks so much of you and because it requires such speci- you know specificity in how you live your life. And, it's oddly also a, a faith that like, say what you want. I know this isn't doctrine and this is culture, but I've talked to enough. I've interviewed listeners on the phone. I've talked to so many people at this point. Keeping up appearances, appearances is a priority. Wealth is celebrated. Like if the more money you have, the more money the church has, because it's mandated that you tithe 10%. Nowhere else is it mandatory. Like you cannot go to temple. You can't get a temple recommend unless you tithe 10%. There's kids songs that are, I want to give the Lord my 10th Chris Jenner style. Um, this so it's it's a thing where not only is the organization sitting on billions not only is wealth welcome uh and material possessions valued it's also kind of this interesting thing that my one of my personal arenas of fascination is this you know for lack of a better word hypocrisy which every religion is riddled with hypocrisy but i think it's a particularly interesting phenomenon i talked about in the first episodes of you know salt lake city having like the most number of plastic surgeons per capita of anywhere and how popular it is to get plastic surgery because when i was going through these church programs and everyone's like your body's a temple i was like oh man but then when a huge tenant of mormons and all of their quest for purity is that your body is a temple but it's not but you're like yes and no because when you when i say temple you can't graffiti the temple you can't get tattoos I think you can pierce your ears, but no body piercings. Um, you can't, you know, have sex before marriage. A lot of people wear garments. Modesty is a huge priority. There's so many rules about your temple. But what are you allowed to do? You're allowed to gut renovate that temple. You, you are allowed to chip gains demo day. Your literal gut. Get a tummy tuck <laughs> at your beck and call. You are allowed to dismantle your insides and reassemble them the way you want. Whether it's a boob job, tummy tuck, nose job, whatever it is. And that's totally acceptable. But God forbid you have a tattoo. You know what I mean? And this is like that, the superficial nature of what is otherwise a pretty uh, deep spiritual 
uh, thing to identify with that's just like confusing in nature and that produces all these beautiful people that almost have can often have like a very Stepford energy about them. And that's just interesting. It just is. And we're always trying to be like, why? What? What is it about this? What's happening here? Beyond that, people aren't drinking. People aren't smoking. People aren't cohabitating. All of the great joys I found in my life, <laughs> they aren't experiencing. Would I be better off with or without them? I don't know. These are the questions I am still asking myself. I don't have the answers, but I like to ask the questions. I like to muse. I like to talk about the mommy bloggers I'm most interested in. And the first go-round, I talked about the people I've followed for a very long time. Um, this go-round, there's people that I'm kind of like newly obsessed with. I might only get through one of them, honestly, because I have so much to say. There's a few different things I'm interested in now that I want to go through. But I think there's also another layer here this year of like so many of the people that are spreaders of like, you know, never talking about Black Lives Matter, but talking so much about trafficking. Um, a lot of the QAnon dialogue that in the, the problematic sharing of <clears throat> political misinformation under the guise of like being holy and pure and caring about the children and these people that like you kind of want to follow and believe because they're so like kind and sweet and they don't really engage in activist things otherwise and you kind of pay attention and i think these are some of the people that are have become the most influential online and are like swaying hearts and minds beliefs wise because they don't normally speak out so it's it's almost like glaring that they're taking up a cause so it's i don't know there's a lot here and if you want to hear me you know go after my own faith go to listen to true love waits my four-hour purity series where i regress through my experience <laughs> being a part of southern conservative uh, church organizations that i didn't realize were essentially very much manipulating the way i felt about so many things in life and so many other women too that i crowdsourced from in a way that isn't necessarily deliberate or with malice. Um, but I think it's important we acknowledge the ways in which people's, you know, opinions form our own image during these important developmental periods of our life. So I don't target Mormons. I'm an equal opportunist. I'll go after Hillsong. I'll go after my own faith. I can't be all or nothing. I don't understand how anybody could be all or nothing. I don't understand how people can like sit in a, like a, a religion especially when religion and politics are the two like sectors, if you will, that have the highest propensity to abuse power. You can hold somebody's like, you know, with the legal system in one hand and salvation in the other. People can hold some pretty heavy stuff over your head to get you to do what they want. These aren't the places where we blindly agree to things because we assume the good and the people that are in the positions of power. These, these are the situations where we need to be looking at everything with a microscope because positions of power have very high propensity to be abused. And people will get themselves into those positions who want to be able to have control over people. And that's a naive way to live. And I hate that. But you see it happen everywhere. And I think it's interesting when people have to blindly follow absolutely every aspect of faith or they're, you know, penalized, chastised, considered as some sort of doubter. It's like, do you think I got married in a Catholic church? Do you think I can accept everything that goes along with that? No, my God, it's a, there's unconscionable, abhorrent things that like, I will forever have trouble processing. So I never want anybody to feel singled out or disrespected. I really just think it's interesting to talk about not only religion, period, but especially the implications as it relates to the influencers we follow and that impact society in their own way. Um, and I don't know, especially in this really important season of life, literally with election season, with a tense season of everything around us, I like to have these existential conversations that tie in something so so superficial with something very deep to my soul which is the search for meaning and purpose in spirituality 
in a world where people seem to exude those things in such a simplistic, perfect manner that I think, why can't I be that? What am I missing? Why do I have to overthink this so much? Or what's behind there? What's really going on? What aren't we seeing? I just am so interested in all of it. And won't you join me? <laughs> so, okay, people have told me to follow this person forever. It actually wouldn't even, it's not, this is actually funny because this is really not a lot to do with being Mormon. But this is kind of an example of somebody that like low-key is that you might not ne notice, necessarily notice because they don't talk about it. But everything about them is so quintessentially Mormon that it's both subtle and glaring. It's fascinating. Anyways, you guys have told me about this person for forever. I actually haven't really even been in on it that long, and it's not its not hard to be transfixed. <laughs> do me a favor. Go to Instagram and type in at Turtle Creek Lane. Do not tag her. Do not, do not, I just want you to take a gander. Take a deep scroll. Now, take a cursory glance at the nine block, and you'll get what I'm saying. This woman is, is fascinating, and I... And, it's all so pleasant and so earnest and the decorate. I mean, it's so it's it's cute and it's a lot. And I never, ever, ever want to be mean spirited or like she's such a sweet woman. And like, I, I don't I think the consensus is like we don't know how to feel because it's like so much consistent content all the time that is so, so extra. The, like I said earlier, there's there's a confusing lack of vulnerability in an era that prioritizes vulnerability and relatability. And the, the lack of self-awareness to even know to do that is interesting in and of itself. But this, like, almost robotic portrayal of perfection, joy, sweetness, kindness, simplicity, and, you know, intricacies of decor where your entire life is decorating your home, your mansion, your $8 million mansion for these holidays. It's just everything about her. I'm just like, how? Why? What? How? Why? Like, what? How how can a person just be this, like, positive and sweet and, like, it's, it's like a cartoon version? Of a, of a person but that also obviously cares about her family and like it works hard and is so successful it's just like i i don't know i've never had a stronger case of i'll have what she's having but i i whatever if, if there is a way to bottle up this uncomplicated positive effervescent energy and sell it to me on the black market for an ungodly amount of money i'd probably pay it as a person who overcomplicates everything and thinks so much about everything and can uh, I, 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 life is an onion that I constantly have tears. I am just peeling back layer after layer and, and, and doing it to myself and being like, why am I teary? Why am I blue? Why am I so distraught? And it's like, you're doing it to yourself. <laughs> Look at things for what they are. Must you peel? Must you dig? But that's why I'm here. The, the, the mystical world of Turtle Creek Lane lives rent-free in my mind. And I wish I could live rent-free in McKenna's, McKenna Kate's Playhouse. Not McKenna, not Kate, McKenna Kate. Sounds like Kate Kennedy reversed, honestly. I wonder if they'd like Airbnb it to me. The, the sweet 10-year-old girl got a playhouse when she was little. It has hardwood floors and an air conditioning unit. <laughs> Two things my first apartment in New York that was over $4,000 a month did not have. <laughs> it was a one-bedroom I split amongst three people. JK, it had hardwood floors, but not the good kind. The kind that were like kind of like squares or whatever. Know, whatever, doesn't matter. Um, uh, truly, it's just... She, she, the, uh, this is why I love these people. To not only have like this gorgeous Hansel and Gretel cottage playhouse in your backyard, but then to foster your child's entrepreneurial spirit, to gut renovate said playhouse so the 10-year-old can work on their core competencies of their business, which no joke are slime, baked goods, and making bracelets. This is adorable. <laughs> Just like my jealousy of not being able to keep up with the influencer that is the 175-pound tortoise on TikTok, TikTok named Tiptoe, who is renovating his patch of grass and his small turtle house. And I'm like, geez, glad, glad you're soaring. You can barely move. 
It takes you 45 minutes to get around the block, but you are lapping me in life and in compensation. McKenna Kate is crushing it. Honestly, I'm proud of her. And I, I wish her all the success in the world. If I could give my daughter those things, I absolutely would. I think we all would. Not the point. I don't even know where to get started. And honestly, I'm a little bit embarrassed about how much info I've ascertained about this this, <laughs> this family in the past several weeks. And it's one of those embarrassing things where I just, yeah, I don't know. It's like, I probably will talk about her majority of the time. And I don't even know why. But then I look at people that are obsessing over freaking Jen Aniston and Brad Pitt having a, a small interaction over Zoom. It's, it's, it's hardly a romance for the ages. You know, it's hardly uh, Meg Ryan, Tom Hanks meeting at the top of, the, you know, the Empire State Building. It's not Jerry Maguire, you have me at hello. It's just hello. It's just like a regular salutation. Hi, Aniston. Hi, Pitt. Uh, and it was so uncomfortable and so forced. I almost felt like they were orchestrating what they knew would be a moment, what they knew would be a clip. You know what I mean? My point is, I can care about this person's spectacular Halloween decor and talk about it for an hour. If you guys can care that much about that singular exchange. <laughs> Hi, Anison Hypet. Fortunately for me, I have my own Jennifer. And that is Jennifer Houghton of Turtle Creek Lane. I have my own Bradley, which is Vera Bradley, which is, I assume, an extensive collection she has. I have so many mixed feelings, and I gather many of you do as well. She, I want to thank our first sponsor, who is truly more important than ever in the coming months that are going to be tense and difficult and we all will inevitably lose sleep but at least you'll be sleeping well nay sleeping wonderfully comfortably on a helix mattress hear me out there are mattress companies aplenty there there it might seem daunting to order something you sleep on every night online but I'd argue it's equally daunting how little thought sometimes we put into the things we use the most sometimes it's hard to spend money on these things because they're not like you know, it's like a, a handbag, but it's so incredibly functional and important to your quality of life. And I've never felt passionately about a mattress. <laughs> I'm not messing with you. I am like Oprah, like you get a mattress, you get a mattress, you get a mattress. I'm making my sister get a mattress. Corny's getting her family members mattresses. I sleep on this mattress. My, I have other friends who are podcasters that advertise for them that are like, God, I love this mattress. We're not messing with you. These are, it's like a high quality, outstanding mattress that I can't speak more highly of. Get yourself a Helix. Because you go to helixsleep.com, you take a quiz, and ask you all sorts of questions that helps them identify what the right mattress is for you. I took the quiz. I am so picky, and I am so, so fidgety and restless, but I found the best mattress. Ours is called The Dusk. It asked me what if I sleep on my stomach or side or back. It asked me um, if I like firm or soft. It asked me if uh, I have a partner and what their preferences are. It helped us meet in the middle. If you go to helixsleep.com slash be there in five, you can take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. You don't even have to take my word for it. They were voted the number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ, by Wired, by Apartment Therapy. And they have a 10-year warranty, and you can try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll like literally pick it up and take it from you if you're not happy. But I really think you will be. So right now, Helix is offering, be there in five listeners, up to $200 off all mattress orders. Get up to $200 off at helixsleep.com slash be there in five. And thank me later. She has the biggest, brightest smile, asks me every day what I'm grateful for. She has hair full of secrets, a tiny body, uh, effervescence about her that is borderline confusing. Jennifer is something else. Um, she, she is somebody I want to sit down and eat a chicken Caesar salad with midday at a country club. I, I want to drink Chardonnay with her. 
But unfortunately, she doesn't drink, and I don't like Chardonnay. But she makes me want to drink Chardonnay. Just like that buttery bottle of Rombauer, I want to butter her up so maybe one day she'll host my baby shower. She's a person that, like, would be so fun to know, but, like, maybe would be too close for comfort as, like, a mother-in-law. But it would be an awesome, like, an incredible godmother, neighbor, like, mom's friend, you know? I just, I just want to sit at her kitchen island and hear what it's like to have to endure such difficulty. Like, this week, for example, she fell asleep. And unbeknownst to her, her mulling spices were still on the stove. Woke up, burnt to a crisp. How, how do you deal? She found ibuprofen in the crisper. Honestly, I'm worried about that because they don't drink. So is there, there could be like a carbon monoxide situation happening, but I've probably been reading too much Reddit threads, uh, like glitch in the matrix. Trust me, I have a lot of things I want to discuss from, you know, the, 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 the pros to the cons, from the delightful, entertaining decor and disposition to the Tahiti of it all, to the, to the you know, dieting of it all and imposing that on your child. Um, but, you know, it's fair game to talk about the, the media we consume and the public figures that put it out there for us to interpret. So they live in this bougie area of Texas, a gather called Turtle Creek. Um, I guess it's somewhere like a Highland Park. I don't know. Uh, it's bougie. It's fancy. They live in an $8 million French chateau inspired by her. The, her parents stints on and off in the Swiss Alps, obviously, on the Swiss-French border. Unlike Switzerland, I am not neutral toward this home. It has a moat. At least I think, unless I'm looking at a creek and misunderstanding its placement. It's a huge house. Let's go through some of the data. TCL by the numbers, if you will. So we, we've got five bedrooms, nine bathrooms, and a French chateau that is roughly twelve to 13,000 square feet. She has over 1,000 ornaments that she puts on 12 Christmas trees with 15,000 lights. She's eight stockings. She hangs by the chimney with care for her five kids plus one kid's spouse, I think. Kimmy? I love Kim. I loved Kimmy's dining room. I honestly thought it was tasteful. I think she's just, I love a pastel pumpkin. And I learned yesterday that not only do we need to be painting our pumpkins, but to preserve our painted pumpkins from rotting, because, you know, they are just vegetables on the ground, after all. Um, we must put top coats on our pumpkins. Uh, women have it hard enough. We already have to put an, uh, an undercoat, a top coat on our, our nails, sunscreen and moisturizer and primer on our faces before foundation. I have to now top coat my pumpkins. It's just like, can't we get a break? Um, sorry, I was going through the data. So, yes. Wait, I think it's five kids, and then one of her kids is married to a woman named Kimmy. And they they announced yesterday that they're having a baby. And I was like, oh, my God, you would <laughs> you would be such a fun grandmother. Um, and obviously, so, like, okay, so what I gather from their story, they built this French chateau that is, again, I, somewhere between eleven and 13,000 square feet. I'm not sure if I'm doing the math right, but I watched the Home at Rest tour, which at first I was like, is this the Home at Nest tour? Because this looks like an Easter egg. But no, it wasn't for Easter. This is the Home at Rest when it is not normally decorated. I was like, damn. Um, a lot of color. A lot of pastels. Good for Steve. Um, so when they moved, when they built this house, they only had three kids. And I think there was maybe some secondary infertility or something, which, God bless, happy she was able to have more children. And she ended up having two more kids. And obviously... You cannot fit five whole human children in a measly 9,500-square-foot house. So they built a guest house, maybe a pool house, with 3,500 more square feet that they could then shuffle around because her poor son, he was supposed to have a gym off of his room, and they turned his gym into a nursery. And he's thriving. I mean, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. <laughs> I'm no mathematician, but when you add up 
this is why this is why I'm obsessed with Mormon mommy bloggers because I think there's some energy to them that is so quintessentially Mormon. And I don't mean that offensively, I mean that positively. Um when you add up the constant smile, the effervescent attitude, the consistently great content, you know, the five beds, nine baths, extra guest house, you know, 12,000 square feet, a thousand ornaments, 12 trees, 15,000 Christmas lights. Not just like a storage unit, but like a warehouse of holiday decor. I mean, I, I look at these, I look at the data and then when you factor in zero carbs, zero refined sugars, zero alcohol, zero caffeine, of the things I love most in life. I'm like, this is, it leads me back to my initial question I could never really answer. For a lot of these, you know, lovely Mormon women, it's like, is that why they're so effervescent, productive, joyful, <laughs> and the like? Like, is that why all of that data works in their favor? Could I, too, with a more wholesome lifestyle, be a thriving young lass with an A-line skirt, an indoor heel, several children at a young age with an amassed FU new construction money fortune where I say things like we can't fit two more kids in 9,000 square feet like would I fly over swans on Delta Airlines to surprise my children for Easter with two little swans for the moat and creek in front of my house would I be the type of person who could bring the type of joy to the world to watch the signets hatch with a live stream while June of Johnny and June swan fame, not to be confused with Hanky and Panky, Lisa Vanderpump swans, lay their eggs in a gestational period that is shorter than the time it takes Jennifer to decorate for Christmas. 34 days as opposed to 45. I don't know, you guys. This is the type of, like, cartoonish... My best friends are woodland creatures joy that I just am fascinated by. And I'm like, is it because you're Mormon or are you Mormon because you're like, you know what I mean? It's like chicken or the egg, a swan or the egg. I don't know. Would my life be so different with those wholesome integers? And like, is there something to that? Or is it, does that yield an oversimplification or a lack of experience that doesn't complicate things? You know, there's, there's a lot of questions you could ask. Here's the thing, though. I'm not edgy. I, I sure I, I I lived with my spouse before we got married. I I, I firmly believe in a, in a test drive. I drink wine. I don't even drink hard liquor. I don't like it. It makes me feel funny and it makes me ask people weird questions. But I don't like binge drink. I don't smoke. I curse in real life in my everyday interactions. But I had to cut down on the podcast because my mom calls me when I do. Um, that's how edgy I am. Uh, all things considered, I just am like, do those things matter that much? Like, would my life be that different if wholesome? Even though, admittedly, my edges are more blunt than the Dos Equis Shiv I wanted Shannon Bird to carve in her Oaxaca trip when she was asking her coordinator for a machete. I, I don't really have a lot of sharp edges, but I enjoy those aspects of life. I feel fueled by them, in fact, and not held back. And this is where I wonder about the subliminal religious aspect. It's like you never explicitly say it, but you constantly imply this like wholesome way of being that I would imagine is contagious to people around you and might attract them into the web of your, your faith, which is great. Like if that's what they want, I, it's like, again, I'm not here to criticize beliefs, but culturally, lifestyle wise, I think there's something there to that being a very... Uh, alluring attractive way of living that isn't overbearing in how it witnesses to you but makes you you know intrigued no less and want to know why they are the way they are i rampantly searched for medication that could give me this disposition and, and to no avail maybe it's god maybe it's money people 
all, all anyone ever says, money can't buy you class. More money, more problems. No, absolutely not. <laughs> if I've learned one thing from these bloggers, the more money you have, the less problems you have. The more Mormon you are, the less problems you have. More Mormony, less problems. More money, less problems. Uh, more money, <laughs> less problems. <laughs> I need a co-host. Uh, I, I just think that, you know, like, I'm, I'm, I'm half kidding. We should all be happy with our own lives. And I, it's, for entertainment's purposes, I like to celebrate with comparable excess to this woman's decor. Without the hyperbolic speech, how can we adequately capture all that is Turtle Creek Lane? But um, I, I think what is so fascinating beyond just, like, the baseline wealth that I talked about, which a lot of people have, and, like, the house and whatever, is she's best known for the way she decorates for holidays, and you might say, uh, I, someone's, I, I, there's been a spell cast on me with her Halloween decor specifically. I, then I retroactively, uh, retroactively went through her Christmas decor on her blog, on her Instagram, on her Facebook. I started piecing together context clues. I'm nothing if not a serious journalist. And I pieced together what I think uh, I understand to be an adequate representation of this blogger that regardless of what you think of, of, of the taste of the lifestyle of the wealth of the tone deafness, whatever, like is just fundamentally independent of sentiment of liking or not entertaining at the very least. So I believe by trade, she's an interior designer. Interior designers have access to things at wholesale pricing and to distributors that consumers don't necessarily have. There's a lot of manufacturers of B2B home goods. Um, what I gather is that this elaborate level of decorating, and, I, and I'll get into it, but like, I don't mean like, oh, wow, that's a that's a, a fancy tablescape you've got there with matching napkins, chargers, and corresponding piece on the buffet. Uh, no. Like, I, I, she, I think she spends hundreds of thousands of dollars on decor, and then she has a warehouse where she will buy multiples of the things she decorates with and shares on social media that people don't have access to um via b to b to c uh transactions so if people like the stuff they see on her pages on her blog they can buy it themselves which is smart honestly and is a way to combat waste to a degree if you ultimately sell through stuff but the waste is a concern of mine there's a warehouse where she stores it all that literally looks like the last step in your journey of the worst day of your life at an ikea when you decide you want an Ectorp sofa and, uh, you know, Kallax shelves and a Svergna cabinet only to get downstairs and they're out of all three of those things, unless it is red. They always have the thing that is red in stock and I do not want red furniture. I will not settle for red furniture. That is so abrasive. That is so not feng shui. Ikea insists on trying to sell me red furniture. But when you get there, like downstairs in the stock room to go check out and none of it's there, you are literally beside yourself. I've never not cried in an Ikea. Uh, you have your dumb makeshift tape measure they give you and you spend hours trying to make sure everything's going to fit. You find the perfect items and the perfect color and the perfect finish that go together only to ultimately have wasted four hours of your life and almost get divorced. And I'm very triggered by that warehousey vibe. It's, the thing, I, don't hate, I don't hate a warehouse. I'm an equal opportunity warehouser. Like at a Costco, for example, you feel like anything can happen. But in an Ikea, you know that nothing will. And those, that's two different types of warehouse energy that I personally have had to work through. 
it's so elaborate. It's so exhaustive and detailed. Every room has its own like plot, subplot and theme. I counted 76 pumpkins on her porch yesterday. And just for reference, you know, KJP, Keel James Patrick, the owner proprietor of like big pumpkin patch energy. Uh, he takes all these like beautiful photos of mother nature and like foliage that he will heavily photoshop because a we know that their leaves haven't turned color where the location is tagged b people from those lo that like have been to the these places have been like it doesn't look like that at all i don't even know that i care because it's cozy as hell it's just a a you know plaid picnic blanket with lo low lumbar support a golden retriever wearing a scarf uh, you know, old-timey wagon with a screen-projecting hocus-pocus. There's maybe a worse-for-wear canoe in the distance. You're surrounded by firewood and, like, loose gourds. The, the, the leaves crunch beneath your feet and are almost as crisp as the air that reminds you of the scent that is so quintessential to walking home following a successful shop till you drop supermarket sweep at the Scholastic Book Fair. By that, I mean you bought one single eraser. These nostalgic autumnal moments are... I so value, and when I see a setup of the KJP has, and all those things I mentioned paired with, you know, maybe some cider, some apple cider donuts, uh, hot cocoa, a tower of mallows, marshmallows that never seem to melt. Everybody has a mug, even the golden retriever, and the, the golden retriever doesn't even have opposable thumbs, but sometimes you can find him in the hot tub wearing his little scarf, and it's adorable. I feel like KJP, look at his Instagram, at KJP, you'll get what I'm talking about instantaneously. Despite some of the curious methodology he goes about with photoshopping and altering things to make them appear cozier than they are in real life, I, I just think it's wrong to photoshop your mom. Facetune Mother Nature, you know? Anyway, uh, KJP is like my gold standard of like fall extraness. Golden retriever standard, if you will. Can I just say that I'm shocked that there's never been like a Chevron wearing millennial blogger? that named their golden retriever rose because so they could be like rose golden but given that i really kind of only had one uh excessive fall decorator i followed i then kind of had to compare and contrast like i don't know not that everything's a competition but like there's going to be one person that's that prevails who's who's fighting the gourd fight so i didn't I, I didn't have a panoramic of the porches but i looked at kjp's porch last year which was very like mom's the word it was like holy mom's mom's are not cheap nor are they really that attractive and i feel like for one month a year we all convince ourselves that harvest is our aesthetic but it's like actually quite not um he had i believe 49 pumpkins that were in plain sight on his porch 49 members of the gourd family on his porch um that were like live non-fake non-date like non-decorative pumpkins which, I mean, that's a shit ton of pumpkins. That might not clear out a patch, but it'll clear out a Publix. Imagine my surprise when I'm introduced to this new Halloween enthusiast decorator, Jennifer, in Turtle Creek Lane over here is like, hey, KJP, hold my non-alcoholic cider. I got 76 pumpkins. She has 76 pumpkins on her porch. I haven't even been able to count the ones in the house because I wanted to wait till Kimmy finished. Um, I... Uh, in, uh, do I know her personally, what she stands for, how charitable she is, how wasteful this is? Like, no, I don't really know all the details. I'm pretty still new to this, and I had to put a lot of pieces together from from your input of messages I've screenshotted over time for when I'm like, if I ever go into this person, like, I need to remember this from 
like, you know, Facebook and Instagram and highlights and the blog. Um, there's a lot I don't know. And forgive me if I'm missing something glaring. And I'll talk through what I think are the pros and cons. Not in a, I, I think it's crazy that people don't understand the extravagance they live, that they live out and that they show us. And I think people are surprised when they get talked about as if they're, you know, when they're just like, let me live my life. Like, I'm just a person. I'm like, you're just a person, but you also have a half million followers or more uh, make a ton of money off of our eyeballs. And then you're denying our right to have an opinion on what we're seeing. It kind of comes with the territory. But it is hard when somebody's like so sweet and positive and happy. And I just, I don't know, whatever. This is why I feel conflicted. But I just find there's a lot of comedy here. Um, however inadvertent it is. But I also feel like her kids think she's funny. Um, But I feel like her son's a little mean to her and then I get upset because then I feel defensive of her and I don't even know her. And again, I'm very new to this and I don't even know if my opinion or take is going to be anywhere close to what yours is. But here's to trying. I cycle through many pros and cons. On the one hand, I'm like, holy consumerism, this is wasteful. I have had a lot of you say like, well, I've actually talked to people that have been to charity functions at her house i talk to people that know her directly that say they're like the nicest people ever and it's exactly what you see on you know camera or on instagram or whatever is my argument per our earlier conversation that uh, an overemphasis on not seeing any cracks in the surface is not always a positive thing and it's important we keep that in mind for perspective and not to compare ourselves absolutely um it's just hard to know what else you know goes on but people have said that they've been to her house and that in the like holiday season, part of the decoration bit is like she hosts fundraisers and dinners and events for charity amongst the decor, uh, which makes me feel a little bit better about it. I'll get to that later. First of all, let me just like kind of describe this aesthetic uh, <laughs> the best I can. Do I start with Halloween or Christmas? Okay, here's the first thing that I was like, what? this doesn't feel good. Um I'd be interested to hear your input on this. Okay, I think the craziest thing I found out doing a deep scroll is that her... So she spends, like, what I assume, thousands and thousands of dollars, if not six figures. It has this warehouse. Like, her life is dedicated to decor. It takes her 45 days to de- to uh, decorate for Christmas. 45. I believe that's the number I read in, like, an article from Dallas paper or magazine and like i said earlier the thousand ornaments 12 trees fifteen thousand lights uh, the she, she every holiday has its own concept but christmas every room has like a theme and a subplot i think halloween might too but uh, you know in your average home i don't even have a foyer much less can i imagine walking through my gingerbread foyer to get to the reindeer lounge you know only to feel off put by Rudolph's red light, as we know via the Ikea combo, how I feel about the color red. So I make my way into the Hall of Sweets to ultimately end up in the music room, aptly named. I believe last year was the Reindeer Soiree, which is confusing because the Reindeer Lounge, I think, is separate. But just like imagine as a kid, you walk downstairs in the morning and, you know, every parent's worst nightmare is getting a kid hooked on Elf on a shelf. But what's a girl to do when there is an Elf on every goddamn shelf? I mean, it's magical. And I was shocked going down in the feed when I realized that for Christmas, after spending 45 days, thousands of dollars, I mean, just like countless hours of content partnerships, magic to make the perfect surroundings for Christmas, which is one day that I understand the lead ups, uh, most of the fun and Christmas is marked with a, a subliminal sadness, knowing its pending end is near. 
I get that. I get the irony of, of, of the sentimental occasion where you're so grateful and trying so hard to be present. It's almost depressing and you become homesick for the moment you're actually in. I get it. I do. But this family went to Park City for Christmas. <laughs> they didn't even stay in their winter wonderland. And I find that so odd. I find it odd. And I feel like people maybe wouldn't agree with me here because, you know, you still like, I live in an apartment. I leave for Christmas. I go to my parents' place for Christmas. But why do I go to my parents' place? Because it's the best place to celebrate Christmas. People flock to the most hospitable, coziest, most familial environment that can hold the most people usually for Christmas doesn't mean you can't decorate your own home. But if you are that person that everyone would want to go to your home to feel the most seasonal, why bounce? Why go up to the mountains and ski? I find that very strange. <laughs> if I had that kind of money, resources, and decor horsepower, I would fly everyone to see me and enjoy all the work I had done. But, you know, that's reality of being in a creative business. You find a job you love, but when you make money off something you love, it becomes work. And maybe she needed, needs to transcend the grind that is aggressive holiday decor. But really, I challenge you to think about this more deeply. There's something interesting here or like dark to me about like, are, if you're decorating for this holiday only to not enjoy the surroundings with your family on the actual holiday, like, is it just for show? Is it for sport? If it's for charity, fine. But like, what's it all for? if not to enjoy Christmas, you know? Anyways, I, I fear I'm not painting an adequate verbal picture. It looks like Whoville. It's very, like, susical and musical. Like, if you had the ability to devote the resources to making your home in real time look like the set of I Want Candy, Aaron Carter featuring Hilary Duff from Lizzie McGuire, wouldn't you want to spend Christmas in that magical land? But no, not these folks. They're Christmas adjacent. They just want to enjoy the season. But their de decorations aren't the reason for the season. They just straight up leave town. Blow this popsicle stand. They're like, yeah, this is not sugar-free. I want out. I think it's weird to build, you know, Santa's workshop only to furlough his team when they need you most. And I wanna, I'll never get over that. And I don't know if that's every year or this past year. I don't know if I'm reading something out of context. I just find that wild. And here's where I start to get a little like, eh, okay. So here's the thing. So, and, the, and I don't like what about his arguments. I think you can enjoy and appreciate something without being like, coulda, woulda, shoulda. What about this? What about that? Um, but what I'm hoping and manifesting that I'm not, that will happen or does happen that I'm not seeing, because again, I don't know, I'm a little late to this game, is that like, okay, you have all the means and wealth to create a beautiful, decorated, you know, home that gives you Christmas cheer that you just you but you have so many outlets for Christmas cheer. You can just like leave town and go somewhere else and be with your family and afford to fly them all there. That's awesome and good for you. What I'm hoping is that you would use this level of, of resources, money, decor and this like reservoir of Christmas uh, cheer to put those decorations that you're not using like in a in a place that people expend christmas who don't have the luxury of of leaving right who have to be there and don't want to be cheer up a children's hospital cheer up a, a, a retirement home 
cheer up uh, a, a woman's a women's shelter you know what i mean and maybe and, and i'm not again I, I don't know what she does but i just am like hoping in my head that that stuff isn't like uh, idle sitting there and cheers and being brought to other people who would get so much value out of it like that's the important offsetting i think of of sharing and and you know the difference between sharing and showing off, I think, is what you do with it and, and the heart that goes into it. And I think this woman seems like she does a decent amount of charity work. But again, I don't know her. But just an idea. If you're a person with great means and decor, think about how awful it is. If you, if you can't even be bothered with your winter wonderland in the home, think about how awful it is to be at a hospital, a retirement home and hospice care at a shelter. Like You know, I feel like crying even thinking about it. Because Christmas is so special to me and my family. My my family decorates like crazy. And it's like something I actually love. And I've and my childhood memories are so magical and sensory because I think decor like kind of does. Marking that turn of the season with some visual, tangible um, decorations that, you know, when they come out, like it's something's in the air. It's like it's such it's such a neat thing you can do for kids regardless of your income level whether it's elf on a shelf or whether it's you give someone all the days of christmas 1 through 12 i think there's no one right way to make something special for somebody and kids don't care you know until you get to the age where like me you were pretentious about one only wanted to go places with like intercoms good snacks trampolines power wheels and or you know, a girl's private powder room off of the childhood bedroom. So you can have like a makeshift spa night where you just go to CVS and buy like Mr. Bubble, you know, Noxima, some Bonnie Bell and like cucumbers to put on your eyes and pretend you're adults at the spa. Did anybody else do that? Just me. Um, I've always liked finer things. <laughs> but I think, you know, it doesn't matter how you go about it. The important thing is people seeing the effort, knowing you care feeling the, the warmth of, of the season and whatever holiday you celebrate. Um, and I just hope, yeah, that's extended to other people in more ways than like rain, you know, raising money at a charity dinner. I struggle with charity functions. I know you buy tables. I know they raise thousands. I know all the name of the game is money as it goes, you know, when it comes down to it in terms of arming people with the resources necessary to take on a cause. But I feel like sometimes charity work gets so detached from the cause when it becomes about these like lavish events you know and i just hope you know it's it's if you're new here i do this all the time uh, people want podcasters with like perspective that are black and white and i am like the basic bitch i am not only did my forever in the gray i'm forever in the gray this is the gracious show like the true millennial i am that just wants everything to be gray and beige and muted uh unlike tcl you're probably going to want me to give a hot take sometimes. And then sometimes I will. But a lot of times it's tepid and then it's lukewarm. And that is because I would be lying if I spoke more in, in more extremes and in, in, in complete hyperbole constantly, which mo many people do well and can pull off. And they very much like Z snap in your face. This is my opinion. Take it or leave it zero Fs. But I give, I give all the Fs. I am the Turtle Creek Lane of Fs. I have a warehouse of fucks to give. And I care so deeply <laughs> <laughs> about you, about what I say, about how I position things, about giving people the benefit of the doubt. I, by and large, think people mean well. And I really mean that. Are there awful people? Sure. But I, innocent until proven guilty in my book. And um, I just never really know. I, I need more time to spend with, like, whenever people ask me to talk about people, I'm like, I need enough time to get their vibe. Because I don't want to speak out of turn. And I don't want to completely misread a situation. 
So if you ask me to talk about like Turtle Creek Lane in like May or June, you're going to get an episode in September. <laughs> like, because can you imagine if you guys, you know, hopped on here and I'm like, oh my God, you guys, have you heard about this great influencer that I started following a couple weeks ago? Her name is Danielle Bernstein. What a delight. Like she's had so many issues the past few years that out of context, if I just saw her like shuffling and, you know, doing couture poses next to like a, a stand mixer in a kitchen in a two piece or whatever. I don't know. I just think she does like these like high fashion uh, Coco Rocha poses near inanimate objects. <laughs> you get what I mean? There's so much content and so many layers and so many things you can miss over time. I could be completely missing the mark. <laughs> So anyways, I guess just keep me posted. It's just fun. It's just fun to talk about such an uh, high volume of content and such a user, unusual presentation of content. And it's an influencer who isn't like a millennial, right? I mean, she's a woman in what, her 50s, which is amazing that she's su such an incredible content creator. But it's like, I mean, I just I feel like something's going on, you know, <laughs> I don't know what it is. And uh, the other thing I'll say, too, that I think is important not to be annoying, um, but that I've seen happen lately and it drives me nuts. Please, please, please. Weird place to take a pause. But I want to tell you about our other sponsor. It's, I'm so excited to be working with them because I've wanted to work with a company in this field for a long time because I believe in it so deeply. And I, in this case, I'm talking about BetterHelp. BetterHelp is an incredible company that th they will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You know, that within like even 24 hours, you can meet in a private and safe environment in your own home virtually on your own schedule that you can dictate, you know, whether you meet with phone or video, you can send them messages anytime and you get thoughtful and timely responses um, all without ever having to sit in, you know, a waiting room. The, the discomfort of going in person, especially if you've never been before, can be incredibly daunting and it's beyond that more affordable than a lot of traditional offline counseling. And there's financial uh, aid available also if you need it. And they have licensed therapists that cover a broad range of specialties from depression, stress, anxiety, to sleeping, trauma, relationships, family, LGBTQ, grief, self-esteem, anger. Anything you share is confidential. And this is just an incredibly important, convenient, professional, and affordable way to still be going to therapy despite this COVID-19 world where we're not having direct contact or if you've never been to a therapist and are interested in seeing what it's like this is a really great low risk highly private safe environment where you can kind of play a home game and be on your own turf and you know in your own comfort zone while still you know taking the next step to take charge of of your mental health this is not self-help. This is professional counseling. And I think this is a really incredible company that has, you know, countless testimonials on their site if you want to read more specifically. But I, I think for me, I just, I don't know, I feel so strongly about therapy. I don't know. I just want you to know it is okay to ask for help. It's better than okay. It's important to get outside input and to be given tools, not to fundamentally change who you are and continue beating yourself up for your own shortcomings, but to be given tools to work around them, to thrive despite these things. I, until I started opening myself up to like the world of mental health professionals, I didn't take mental health for the serious medical field that it is, for the treatable conditions that there, that there are. And for the longest time, I just kind of bought into this belief that you could like think your way out of things or it was my fault or it's a function of my environment. Like, 
what was happening around me was going to change how I felt inside. And over time, you just realize it's not the case. You have to be proactive. You have to lock the door before you get robbed, even if you're feeling like you're in an okay place. I not only want you to take care of yourself and your mental health and be proactive about it, I also want it to be cool to get help. There's no shame. There's nothing wrong with needing a little outside input, with needing a little bit of guidance, with needing to know how to optimize the hand you've been dealt. In fact, it's brave. And I especially think this is great for people that are feeling a little unsure or uncomfortable if you've never been before. This is just such a low risk, palatable, you know, comfortable way to approach therapy that I think is really, really cool because you deserve to be happy. But happy is not something that falls out of the sky. It's often something we really do have to work on. And that's, I mean, the demand for better help is so high. So many people have been using it. They're now having to recruit extra counselors in all 50 states. I mean, this, like, a lot of people are um, really seeing the benefits of better help. And I hope you'll give it a try if you're interested. I know I'm going over in the ad time, but I just want to, it's a new advertiser and I care a lot about this topic. So thank you for allowing me the time to explain. But if you want to start living a happier life today, as a listener, you will get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash be there in five. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash be there in five to get 10% off your first month. Speaking of preserving the mental health of others and myself, what I was saying earlier, and, I, and I'm really, I know this is annoying, but I've been seeing it happening. I just think it's so unnecessary. And uh, I, I don't know, I hear other podcasters in the pop culture realm preach this too, and I maybe don't say it enough, but like, don't tag people that I or anybody who comes on this podcast talks about. We're trying to report out on, on celebs, on influencers, on public figures that are fair game to discuss, but are human beings after all. And while I don't want to discourage the talking of people behind their back, I don't want you tagging me in something somebody says unfavorable about me. You're like, you know, I, I when ever people send me stuff, I'm like, I don't need to see this. Unless it's like glowing, which in, in which case, please. But I just think that there's like a funny element here of like, let's use some tact. <laughs> it's like, I just think it's a little tacky to tag people in these things. And beyond that, it makes it not fun anymore. Because it's like drawing unnecessary attention that somebody won't really understand out of context. That is actually meant to be quite lighthearted and not mean-spirited at all. But people get very, very defensive. And then it is very draining. And anymore, too, there's like a, kind of a weird territory where even though it's fair game, like people really... Like, okay, for example, what drives me nuts is like... Okay, so on TikTok, Marissa Fuchs, Grossman, who did the influencer proposal that we all talked... I mean, it was fascinating. It was a news story. Um, it, because it was an unusual situation and there was a brand deck leaked that showcased how premeditated this whole proposal was and like the way she presented it with all this bond con and the ta- brand tagging and the free stuff and, you know, like actively in not only, you know, engaging with the process, but inviting us all on the journey. Um, now the way she talks about that time, A, I feel awful because she talks about how awful it was and being for being bullied and like, that's horrible. If she had nothing to do with it, like... I feel awful because it certainly didn't look that way. But she talks about how the things said about her proposal are defamation. And I'm like, I don't, what? <laughs> I just feel like that isn't the right word. And I just feel like there's not, an, there's such a lack of accountability there of like, you want all the perks of a public facing job. And you, you know, w- whether you were involved or not, somebody took a risk doing this sort of public format of a proposal knowing it was something up your alley and you went along with it engaged with it seemed to like it and like brought us all in only to be mad when we had an opinion about it unless it was like completely glowing and 
I really enjoyed the process, but I also thought it was like a Black Mirror meta moment of like, why are we watching this intimate moment of the stranger's life? And why is it sponsored by so many brands? Why is there a pitch deck? Like, that was so strange to me. It still always will be, but it's not defamation. I don't know, maybe there's some angle with that, but I just feel like it's, it's not, they're, they're, these aren't false statements made with malice designed to destroy this woman's reputation. This is commentary on what was happening, that we had no other way of knowing what was true or false. We just could go off of what we saw. <laughs> you know, and like, now I feel differently about it, seeing if it was, you know, so hurtful to her. But this is what I mean with like, I just don't think there's always an understanding of like what's on the table. And, you know, without the, the built-in buffer a celebrity has with their like privacy and PR and their expectation of, uh, public discussion beyond that their desire for public discussion it only ups their brand value anyway that was a tangent that i just was thinking about because i saw that on tiktok um but yeah i just think that people are super sensitive about the way they're spoken about and don't really understand the territory like all that comes with this territory I never want to make anybody feel bad and i think if you heard me talking out of context you might not understand my tone and like honestly it's less about saving my saving face myself and more so I'm like not wanting to hurt anybody's feelings that I don't need to and if anything I want this to be like a safer more neutral space than a lot of the cruelty I see online and I think there's things you can joke about that are fair game and I think there's things that are way below the Gucci belt and I don't go there and I you know I don't know I, I want to be always be responsible but I also want to have fun so thank you thank you for your cooperation in advance <laughs> other funny piece of this too is like I feel like that is a, a byproduct people don't understand. It's like, when you talk about people, you get more people interested in you. Like, I feel like even my audience, we went from, like, not even really talking about these bloggers that much to, like, people, you know, banging down my metaphoric door via DMs being like, oh, my God, Meg's wedding. And I'm like, Markle? And they're like, no, bitch, Scala, get with it. The only Megan we care about. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, here we are. This is this is a level of engagement my audience has with the Scala sisters, who I love, by the way. Like, I enjoy talking about them because I've followed them for forever. And I find them endearing. Um, and, but, like, I know that they, like, that's not what they, they do not want people like me giving commentary. But it doesn't mean you can't. I, I'm IVL's biggest fan. I wear the biker shorts every day. Number one fan of Amy's TikTok. Loving Rachel's relatable content lately meg's apartment my god it is the size of the apartment a normal person has it 23 with a budget somebody has it 30 but that's chill it's an expensive city i'm glad she's learning how to downsize i can't imagine the contrast to like my sister's palatial compounds but i'm happy for her she works out a lot and eats so healthily and it's always good that there's a jack for every jill a pot for every lid because if i was married to a person they made me hike and eat, you know, steamed vegetables. Like that is, that's my nightmare. And to get back on the subject, that is my nightmare before Christmas. And to segue to Halloween decor, I do feel like the Turtle Creek Lane aesthetic is very like if um, Tim Burton shopped at Home Goods. If, if like the Bride of Chucky's got her gauzy statement pieces from an anthropology. I think this would be the vibe. It's not that scary in terms of like, a, you know, severed hands or people crawling out of graves. You know, there's like the uh, murdery, fetishy Halloween that I'm like, you good? It's one thing to get your kicks out of a light seance and some, you know, a Ouija board. It's a whole other thing to like 
fetishize and decorate in a manner that's like, oh, wow, yeah, then let's have a severed head over there and a guy with a chainsaw chase after the innocent children of the neighborhood, traumatizing them for life. I know I said it, like, two weeks ago, like... Why the hell do you want, like, fake, like, a spider was a nightmare, bat? Are you kidding? In these, in these times, in this climate? You want bats in your home? Fake ones? To, like, it's so strange. They're, they're, every blogger has all these tiny bats everywhere. And I'm just like, I don't know, I don't get it. But now that I found out, I found out a couple days ago, Stephanie Meyer from Twilight, or that wrote the Twilight series, is Mormon. How did I not know this? I could do a full episode on me rethinking the entirety of the Twilight saga from the lens of a Mormon, because when you really think about it, it is just straight up erotic abstinence material. It is so, all it is, is sexual tension, male control, not having sex before marriage. And like, how did I not see, like, I've, I've, for years, I've been like, what the hell is a Renesmee? That is the weirdest name I've ever heard. But you know what is also weird? Braxton, Brinlin, Brayley, Kaigo. <laughs> that's, that's a musical artist. I don't know. They just take two syllables that are kind of vaguely remnant of normal names. It's like my favorite TikTok um, character, uh, Taylin. It's like, I love Taylor. I love Caitlin. Bam, Taylin. There it is. You know, and, and, or it's like a, a, a name that's pretty normal otherwise, but you add an S where it doesn't belong. Cursed Slee or, or Kaylin. <laughs> I'm having trouble thinking of them now that I'm sitting here. You guys know what I mean. Uh, apparently Paisley's a very popular name. Like, no, no. Save the Paisley for the 360-degree rotating chairs in Turtle Creek, Creek Lanes, Dallas home. That they have now changed to, like, a hypnotizing Wonderland-esque black-and-white print with a custom ruffle. This woman's six feet high custom tallback sofa as a freaking like its own tutu she dresses her sofa you have to go on instagram and you have to be a part of this house tour she didn't finish it and i'm furious because now we have halloween then we have thanksgiving then we have christmas we don't have the house will not be a rest for a long time and i i'm not getting the footage i need we we got the outside the foyer uh the living room and the music room but then all of a sudden it's like the sun like zooms up some stairs with some like scripture on them and i'm like screenshotting being like okay wait truth life forgive what like oh grace i don't know like what does this say i need to know and then all of a sudden we're buzzing past an in-home dave and busters i'm like what <laughs> where are we is that a vintage tiffany uh, you know stained glass lamp that used to be in a 90s pizza hut i'm very confused speaking of chandeliers she 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 points up to this crystal chandelier in their foyer that's gorgeous and i imagine insanely expensive and she's like that was a gift from a friend and i'm like what friend is <laughs> buying like i'm like you must be delightful if somebody is like willing to buy you a huge ass heavy expensive chandelier and that's like inadequate they she said it was like a housewarming gift I don't know. Like, pre-COVID, like, the nicest thing I like, gave my friend at a housewarming was a hug. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I bring wine, but then I usually drink it. Because they're like, let's open it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's for you, though. And then I, like, you know, pour a, sol a solo cup full of it. <laughs> Not to be rude, but, you know, sometimes people only have, like, liquor open. And so it's a weird thing where, like, I want to bring wine for them, but also if they don't have wine, then I have to drink the wine I brought. I really need to rethink this. Maybe I will look into lighting fixtures. Uh, but until then, I just, I really did appreciate that her friends like her that much and are willing to spend that kind of money. And also, if somebody bought me a chandelier, I'd be like, wow, thank you. But like, I have no idea what to do with it. 
I mean, granted, I, I don't think we're, there's high risk here for that happening. I'm like, do you want me to dangle it off center above this sofa like it's a real housewives reunion? There's always rogue chandeliers and candelabras everywhere. The house is unreal. So the, the foyer is elevated, and she says it's because they want their guests to feel elevated and important and welcome when they walk in. In my house, I have a great apartment. We've worked hard to, to, to live where we want to live. I'm no, I'm no pauper. But the first thing that you are greeted with um, when you come to my house is Tugboat either peeing on you or you will wheel trip on one of our many pairs of shoes that Tugboat does move just to mess with us. It's not really inviting. We don't even have a foyer. We have like a coat rack. And as enchanting as my coat rack is, it really pales in comparison to a uh, an entryway that I think, I'm pretty sure it's like three stories high ceiling wise because then her son was panning to something when he was filming and she had like a juliet balcony like overlooking the foyer and like three different i'm like where where did you come from Whoa. there's just so many like fun features uh do i love the decor at rest it's like it's, it's so interesting to me it's kind of like uh teresa Giduce's mansion you know when i don't know it's kind of like mom and pop versus chain and i think Teresa Giduce wanted this like very tuscan italian look to her mansion and it's like a little bit olive garden in that it just takes kind of every like quintessential commercial aspect of something that you would think it looks like and makes a concept happen that isn't authentic it's actually like filled with trite examples of what's trying so hard to be that thing instead of just being that thing you know what i mean and I think that when you go for a full home theme, like just like the theme is France, like this is a French chateau, like, yes, but also you're in Dallas, you know, it's, it's so I, it just doesn't always land for me when there's that much of a theme. And I think that like, it's a pretty a facade. I like the cobblestones. I now I understand the nuances of grass growing in between cobblestones. It actually needs to be in the shade and not the sun. Who would have thought when you leave the grand foyer that, you know she's so kind to want you to feel elevated and you know to the point where her friends give to her chandelier and you go into like the family room to the paisley 360 rotating chairs that i'm kind of into uh functionally if not fashionably those chairs do point to a tv but they do have two tvs not to be confused with one another both are hidden however but one of them is a TV that is not a functional TV other than at all times. Like an electronic picture frame you would get from a Walgreens that rotates through a cache 15 photos in your, you know, 20 megabyte, you know, SD card. This is a TV that rotates all day through 45,000 family photos. 45,000. I, like, I have no words. There's another, okay, and then... In front of the 45,000 photo TV, not to be confused with the other TV, though you can't point the 360 chairs at either TV at any time, the fixed position is like the six-foot-tall back, high-back, custom um, sofa you can dress like a doll. Uh, there's, on the mantle in front of the photo TV, there are these giant plates, kind of like anthropology mugs with a single letter on them, that spell out courteous. In my perfect world... When she talks about this Houghton family song, because they do have a family song, where they essentially go through, like, the Boy Scout chant. Um, they use these, like, the same words. Courteous being one of them. But I guess they put their own spin on it to make it their family song. Which I just wanted to hear, because I've never heard the song, but I was able to find the lyrics. <laughs> and 
I think it would be way more interesting if it was a full, you know, glamorous remake, like C-O-U-R-T-E-O-U-S, yeah. You know, there's a lot there. I love a parody song. You literally, you know, go back to in their feed to March, and it's like, this tracks. You're flying first class up in the sky to Tahiti, just living your life in a pandemic. Why, oh, why? Oh, with not courteous. No, not courteous. But I don't think that's the jingle. That these, this is what I mean with I go back and forth. I'm like, you're delightful. And I'm like, oh, God, you were in Tahiti March what, like 15th? What? Why? How? How does a person get like what? What? <laughs> On what planet? Um, how do you get back? I, like, the, that is like so incredibly remote. That is the last place I would I would chance it. But I did. Maybe things are different when you're rich. I don't know. I really did not love that. And I, those are the things that make confuse me because I'm like, you know, when you seem like a kind, empathetic, altruistic person or like person that like wants the best for people or your family and whatever. And like you make decisions like that that are so wildly insular to only your benefit in a situation where like cooperation and community and like awareness and like not like potentially bringing a disease to an island with minimal resources like there's just so many reasons why that's like so inappropriate and unethical and, and strange to me but to do it with a smile on your face and post photos about it it's the whole dilemma of i'm like if you're gonna do something wrong don't post it <laughs> you know I, it's like the that lack of self-awareness and lack of regard for what's going on in the world i just find gross and i really i don't love that i also wonder too it's like if you grow up in a you know low-key dave and busters if you have your own like guest house if you live in like a wonderland with a moat and two swans it's like how like what do you work toward in life are your pleasure centers destroyed or like it's just life's breezy and you just coast and you just always enjoy these amenities like what are you working toward i find it confusing i just i'm so like i i'm lucky in so many ways and i always lived my parents like took great care of me but they didn't spoil me i don't like not you know maybe emotionally um but I feel like we legitimately, like, I always had jobs. Uh, we all always had jobs. We always worked. There was never, like, not in the question. And it just, that was the expectation. It wasn't just, like, you do whatever you want, you know, on a regular day or during a pandemic. We'll take you to Tahiti. We'll buy you a lake house. They have individual cottages that are named after their kids. They want every kid to have this, like, their own lake house on this, like, property. I can't find footage of this, but I do know what happened. They call them, like, cottages, but you know how triggering, like, I find it when people, especially rich people, especially bloggers, I feel personally victimized every time a blogger calls a large space a nook or something that is palatial, cute, quaint, cottagey. I'm just like, this is 3,000 square feet. <laughs> It's not a nook. Uh, it just it drives me insane. Um, but yeah, they have lake houses like named after their kids, and like I don't know, I I don't know. I just I'm, I'm it's confusing to backtrack because I can't find all this stuff. Uh, but these are things that you guys and my friends who I've been texting about her uh, have told me. And um, anyway, what was I saying? Oh, I don't know. I just I I like I am so damn excited for every like ounce of success I get for every paycheck I get, and like. Uh, it's it's interesting to think about and i just my i feel like the reason my childhood was magical wasn't because of like luxuries it was because of the uh, things were like made an event out of it was celebratory it was earned it was like exciting like i i if i got good grades and i got taken to friendlies my god day made month made year made 
I got a Sunday with a cone on top that looked like a face. What a dream, what a life. Uh, actually, <laughs> wait. And also, wasn't there a cherry at the bottom you had to dig for? That was fun. Okay, did I ever talk to the story about Kelly at Friendly's? And I promise this is worth it. Um, okay, my angel of a sister. The, the sweetest, kindest, most amazing, thoughtful person I know. Um, she's... <laughs> Almost, almost a problematically difficult time standing up for herself. <laughs> this is the most Kelly story I could ever tell. Well, first of all, I think of my soft spot for decor is because she does have a storage unit or did for Christmas decor and truly like barely makes it through when she has to make cuts on ornaments and the like when she moves because it's just like a lot of stuff to carry around for seasonal decor. But to be fair, like this, this is kind of a hobby and a source of joy for people that I think we need, like, is that's awesome. And like, I love reaping the benefits of it. Uh, but per the Friendly's comment, she's so sweet. Uh, she went to Friendly's one time and I guess the exact place they were making her ice cream sundae, a glass light bulb shattered over the sundae. My sister got a Heath bar, I think, Sunday. That's, you know, to be fair, pretty crunchy. Pretty crunchy. Uh, not glass crunchy, though. Not esophageal tear <laughs> levels of crunchy. Kelly starts chomping. It's like, this feels weird. This feels a little crunchier than usual. This Heath bar is not going down smooth. Spits it out. She is indeed eating shattered glass. I ultimately think where we netted out is that she ended up apologizing um, to <laughs> the <laughs> friendlies for bothering them and saying something about swallowing glass. And what did they do to make it all okay? When they could have been facing a serious lawsuit, they gave her a mother effing gift card to return to that friendly's location and get another Sunday where she just ate glass. I, I literally think about this sometimes and beat my head against the wall. And I'm like, we could all be living off this FU glass swallowing friendly's money. But no, you felt too bad. You felt too bad sending back your Sunday that threatened your health and wellness and got a gift card in exchange to go to a place to reintroduce yourself to the trauma. I can't handle it. Honestly, it's it's like funny and I we're not the suing kind. I am not a person who is vindictive in a sense where I will drag something out longer than I actually like care about it or it affected me in an effort to like take advantage of the situation. I and like some lawsuits are valid. I think a lot of them, it's kind of like people, you know, mistakes happen and to exploit the situation for all it's worth, I don't always think is right. But that could have actually really been bad. I don't know. I like, I just think you could have like actually hurt. She could have hurt herself like with tearing her of her, some lining of some sort. I think the shards were maybe small enough that to pass. Who the hell knows? But it's just one of my favorite Kelly stories. And Kelly, I'm sorry. But if you are in, in some way associated with the organization that is the fine uh, ice creamery of Friendlies, please let me know if me and my family are indeed entitled to financial compensation, a la somebody with mesotheliomia. I found out about this like way after the fact, but I'm, I'm like very nice and understanding. But it, if you cross my sister, my family member... I've accosted a grown man at a bar in front of a giant Jenga for making fun of my husband's sweater. He merely said, okay, Mr. Rogers, or something like that. Or like, oh, I lost to Mr. Rogers. Again, at oversized Jenga. This is why I hate frat boys. And I snapped. I verbally assaulted him about his shirt potentially being from Arabistel. I was like, sorry, Mr. Rogers over here is a shawl collar. How dare he wear 
such an offensive garment in the presence of somebody like yourself who is, uh, you know, adorned with what? Structure? That FU structure polo money? That's really impressive. I'm glad you have to put down other people to feel better about your cargo shorts. Here's a friendly's gift card to put in them. Eat glass! I, I swear I'll wrap up my Turtle Creek Lane commentary soon. Am I proud that I talked about this for this song? No. Are, are we here to listen to things we're proud to listen to? God, no. That is not my career. <laughs> and I love you for it. <laughs> And let me just keep scrolling. I have, I, have, I, have, I have more thoughts. We're already here, and I might as well finish this out. To take, actually, to take a brief detour from the decorations. So the one, my thing, my issue here is the entire family does not eat refined sugars or carbs. And I actually bought her um, nutrition guide just because I'm a journalist. And it, she's not a doctor, not a nutrition, nutritionist, has no qualifications to be, you know, making and selling a meal plan a byu doctor who i'm sure is qualified but still like again supporting within the community uh, like verifies that it's comprehensive and safe or something at the beginning but at the end it's like i have no experience <laughs> it's like i am not liable and i just think it's so weird that where people go for their diet and health advice and it's a huge problem that you're taking this advice from anybody who is not adequately licensed to do so but I really, I am fine for health. I like believe in eating healthily. I believe in teaching kids about food and where they get their food. And I believe in the plate ratios. And it's important to understand nutrition, but it's a whole other thing to inflict a restrictive diet onto kids and how that implicates their uh, impressions of food and their, you know, feelings about their own body and weight. And these messages really matter. And for a 10-year-old, to not eat refined sugar for a year when her house is decorated like freaking Candyland. The, the, the theme last year was the land of sweets. What, what's on what planet is it okay to have to walk from your bedroom to the kitchen through a gumdrop forest passing the candy cane railroad and to not be allowed to, I don't know, snack on some peppermint bark? I, it's dark to me. And listen, guys, like, I don't know the ins and outs of what's going on here. I just feel like what I've come to learn about body image, nutrition, uh, body positivity, and just like the general, I don't know. I think that you realize when you're older, you re reflect on the comments and the things that stuck with you against your will that people said to you at one point or another about your body or your weight or your looks. Then they haunt you and they drive you in subliminal ways you maybe don't even realize, despite the depth of their relative trauma to other people's. It's your body and your life and, you know, it hurts you in your own way. And I think that there are times when people try to control what their kids eat and how they perceive food and their relationship with food in an effort to prevent them from dealing with some of the insecurities maybe they had. What, but what they're doing is overemphasizing um, the role of food and how it relates to your weight and not your health. Uh, it complicates your relationship with food in terms of everything being a trade-off. Using terms like cheat day with a 10-year-old, I don't, I can't, I mean, I need to call better help. Like, I, I, I think that the way, um, like, when you're a kid, like, the women in your life, whether it's your mom or otherwise, talk about themselves in a weird way can become your like inner monologue and my mom was just never pressured any of us or like about our looks or weight it was just never about that and I was so unselfconscious 
of weight until I got older and literally other women taught me how to hate myself. And I've talked about this before. Like I, I learned it was my complicated relationship with food and dieting and weight honestly stems from the culture of being around large groups of women in a friend group in high school and a sorority in college and the like, but all of those things I feel like stem from like they're like them having harsh parents that <laughs> make comments about themselves or toward them. And that are really difficult to shake. And there's just still so many people that deal with disordered eating and beyond that deal with lifelong quests to kind of subjugate their natural frame and shape in favor of what they think they should look like that has nothing to do with the, their body's natural healthy state. And so they're always working overtime to get to a standard that isn't realistic for them instead of learning to like love and accept themselves and to mend their relationship with food. I don't know, like part of me thinks the damaging part, like dietary changes are fine, diets are bad, and I don't think she positions it as a diet necessarily, they, this whole, the whole family eats like this, but I think it's like praised and focused on with like the fireplace tiles and the, or I, I haven't explained that, have I? And um, like she, like she, it's like not only the thing itself, but then it's like the sharing of the thing on social media that makes me a little uncomfortable and like how can you really control what your kids do at other kids houses i don't want my kid to have a hawaiian punch at somebody else's house and they've never like had sugar in their life and like going to shock like, i think there's balance i think there's an emphasis on exercise i think there's like like you're it's that's felt like the des deprivation thing to me or like if she's a kid um so i think there's like a balance to be struck i, I think uh, when things are positioned as restrictive or worse things are made to be less about you know health and nutrition and more about image you have a big problem and you're risking um, an unbreakable chain of a really complicated relationship with food where you almost view it as the enemy and not as fuel. And beyond that, I think that weight and body image are such personal things. And when you're a young girl and your body's changing, it's like, I don't know, it's like I, you don't even want to talk to your nearest and dearest about it much less have it broadcasted and i think there's a level of careful that i wish sometimes influencers would be with their kids and respect maybe their boundaries that they aren't even old enough to ask for um but again i don't know the situation i to be fair i did when i read the guide well i don't know i just feel like it, it's thinly veiled avoidance of like getting fat you know what i mean i get that there's like a lot with um you know, insulin and your sugar spiking and how your body stores fat and blah, blah, blah. And I agree that like kids should not like subsist off of sugar, but it's, it says, um, if you've constantly elevated insulin, insulin levels, your body one stores the fat you eat as body fat and two is unable to burn off your excess body fat as energy. Essentially you are simultaneously instructing your body to one store more fat and two not burn the fat you already have in storage, existing body fat. It's just kind of like a lot of stuff about body fat. And I'm like, eh. this is just how I hope it's not positioned. Um, it's fine if it's energy, it's fine if it's nutrition, it's fine if you believe in a specific philosophy, it's not fine if it's for appearances. I, you know, I'm not here to snark on somebody's livelihood, but, you know, with the F factor of it all, even though for like a month I thought you guys asked me my thoughts on the short-lived show hosted by Joe Rogan, Fear Factor, um, I think it's fair that we come through dietary suggestions and they can be incredibly problematic if not, uh, if without the scientific evidence support from a licensed nutritionist or health professional and while somebody does endorse this i struggle too because his forward endorsing the validity 
of how the, avoiding insulin spiking starches and sugars and how it improves your metabolic health and how this doctor, you know, supports this document and advocation of this diet above this doctor's foreword is the word forward and it is spelled f-o-r-e-w-a-r-d which is a incorrect combination of forward as in the direction and forward as in an introductory series of paragraphs to a book and again not trying to be rude i just mean like you know if we're talking precision and professionalism i just like it's so interesting to me to take to incur the risk of telling people how to eat and how to be healthy <laughs> in the absence of that being your profession. I just find that so odd. And I, anytime an influencer does that, I find it odd. Anyway, detour. The entire reason I brought that up is because of the fireplace I saw on this home at rest tour about this uh, fireplace. She said, our home should be a reflection of who actually lives there. I designed this fireplace as a way to tell the Houghton family story. Each tile or plate was painted to commemorate a special event or moment in one of our lives. One tile is labeled commitment and was painted to remind my children of how they all went without sugar for a year to earn a go-kart. <laughs> Hey, listen, I am fine with cutting down on sugar, but I think no sugar is a bit much, especially when you have to hang out and with other kids and be at their houses. But in exchange for a go-kart, is that an even exchange? That's a thinker. That's a thinker. I'm not a go-karting gal myself, but you probably could have convinced me with like a pink Barbie Wrangler power wheel, you know. But in exchange for sugar for a year? You, I'm just supposed to go to a bowling alley and not eat cake? I, it, like, I, I can't have chocolate milk at my school lunch with square pizza? Like, is childhood, does it exist in the absence of chocolate milk and a square pizza? I don't, I don't know, whatever. They probably don't go to public school. Fine if you don't, but square pizza is a rite of passage that I miss so much. <laughs> um, anyway, one of the plates shows us all holding hands, singing our Houghton family song, It's a Great Day to Be a Houghton. Another tile is labeled Kindness and shows how our son spent months saving his money to buy a signed Mavericks jersey and how in a moment handed it to a young girl who was crying because she didn't get one. Well, that's very sweet. I love that. I think it's so important that we remind our children who they are and what truly matters in life. I hope when we sit in front of the fireplace, they're inspired to just be a little better. See, that's what I don't like. How is not eating sugar for your accomplishment you celebrate with the tile? And praise like it's some great act of kindness or it's like a sport you win or it's good grades. Like this is not a metric that your child should feel like they're being measured against and praised for. I just don't think personally. Maybe I'm off base. I don't have children. I don't know. I like to read hypothetically about how parents handle these things because I'm, I'm interested in like this intuitive eating concept that's more like self-regulatory. Anyway, <laughs> another day. Um but I just, that's the stuff I just like don't feel right about, you know? And that's where I get into like, what really matters here? You know, what are we, what, why, why does everything have to be like so perfect, so clean, so, so regimented? It's just like a little robotic and like confusing. And I just don't, I don't know how to feel about it. Anyway, let's get back to lighter topics. I just made myself chocolate milk. Not the good kind that's pre-made. I had to put chocolate syrup in milk, which worst case scenario and best all, all at the same time. I feel refreshed. Um, talk about, I'm sorry if you can hear him in the background. The only, like, aside from, you know, the BYU doctor endorsing the diet plan and, like, hints here and there about being Mormon and just, like, the general opulence, opulence quest for perfection and, like, image-related stuff, the one thing that, like, is always a, you know, dead ringer, um, is, like, the relationship timelines, right? And, like, the early marriages and whatever. And I, we talked about this during the um, Mormon mommy bloggers episode like I kind of I'm fascinated but it was so hard to find one person to marry me 
like when you witness Mormon influencers have so many engagements like she so she has a daughter who's really cute who's a singing career actually which is a whole other layer of why this is amazing and fascinating like an actual singing career it was on Radio Disney toured with MKTO maybe and she was engaged twice called off one wedding two weeks before I don't know much about the second but she then got married last year pretty quickly but the mom Jennifer who I've been talking about she said at some point her and her husband went out on one date and got married three months later when she was 18. Like, what? These, it's just, these things fascinate me. And then I, her son got married to Kimmy, the pumpkin painter, who seems to fit in, like, remarkably seamlessly with this family. And I would, yeah, I don't know. I would imagine that that would be kind of a interesting dynamic to try to, you know, find the right person to assimilate well into this. And they, and she's pregnant and they moved to Arizona today. Sad, but excited, you know to be able to be a part of her becoming a grandparent because i think that's probably really, really exciting and there's gonna be plenty of cute events the do- the tiffany the daughter uh she so she has a song that came out in september i think it could, is is bot potential it might be maybe you could use a light remix it's called dodged a bullet and it's about her calling off her wedding wearing what appears to be the dress she wore at her actual wedding to the reception maybe um which then i asked myself is this the dress you bought for your first wedding that you called off and is that normal uh, didn't didn't make scala do that too like she miraculously picked up her dress the same day she got engaged but it was before the proposal they were somehow supposed to believe it was a surprise it's just too funny how people rewrite history or try to explain these short timelines in a palatable context when it's just so far outside most people's norms like let's just call a spade a spade it's fast it is rushed you will want to cohabitate you want to have sex and it is strangely normal for people to have these incredibly fast courtships when there's such an intense overemphasis on the role of a woman as a wife and mother. Let's be honest. I also think it's so the 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 interest of like everyone flocking to BYU is a fascinating thing. I'm sure it's, sure it's a good school, but like, can't you go any other places? <laughs> I don't know. Actually, everyone goes there or somewhere nearby in Utah. Um, but I guess I'm still angry with Provo because of the Paris Hilton documentary in the Provo Canyon School that abused her that was so sick to hear about and the troubled teen industry is shocking and awful and there's really interesting tiktoks about it if you look up the hashtag i gotta talk about that a different day um so i think jennifer has one single son and i'm kind of obsessed with the phenomenon of like having a mom who's an influencer that your child's suitors will stalk prior to dating him or maybe pursue him as a result of it it's not something we've dealt with in history because influencers are so often uh, millennials or younger who have had kids uh, in the age of social media, but not high school or college age where their parents' bloggery persona can be used for or against them. But since so many of the Mormon bloggers had kids at a young age, and th- you know this is going to be more likely now, and damn, if I were going to BYU, I would create a small draft, I would pr- perhaps a bracket. No matter who I choose, the outcome is an overly involved conservative mother-in-law. Uh, so I'm going to make sure I set myself up for the cushiest circumstances while I'm at it. It's kind of like playing MASH, <laughs> but instead of, what is it, mansion, apartment, shack, house? Feels redundant. <laughs> it would just be a game of like mansion, 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 because that's what every Mormon person has apparently, uh, otherwise known as mmm, which is confusing and ironic given the lack of refined sugar and carbs. Uh, but you'd probably split into... I don't know if I'd split into regions or what. But I would, yeah, maybe split the families into region. 
They didn't go have them go head to head. Lily Sadogi headband to Lily Sadogi headband. Comparing amenities. Who is a pool? Who is a mountain backdrop? Is there a guest house for potential privacy and to help my chances of sneaking wine into my Welch's bottle? Do we have an even two to one washer dryer to humans ratio because I will need my own? I'd love a sport court to sharpen my tennis saw, but also allow for some fresh air when it's feeling constricting. I don't want to be greedy, but what's the token sitch with the Dave and Buster's upstairs? Can I suggest that the theme of your, you know, holidays not be high fructose corn syrup that just are, you know, personally victimizing your children who aren't allowed to have it? Speaking of, I just thought of, apparently, at one point, she was talking about how (laughs) she had to go to a Michael's three times in one day because she exceeded the number of transactions that you can have, like, in a single purchasing session. Uh, Michael, what? (laughs) What, what, So, I'm like, what is that number? Uh, So, I called Michael's. I called Michael's. The first two people had no idea. Uh, Then they put me on hold for 20 minutes when I had to look in the mirror and say, what am I doing here? A true journalist doesn't have time for these games. <laughs> uh, what a, I guess to kind of sum up the decor piece, somebody on Facebook, um, a lovely listener, whose name is Anna. Sorry, Anna, to call you out. But she um, made me laugh because she kind of wrote the explanation as a, like Stefan. She said, Turtle Creek Lane is everything. Rainbow balloon sculptures, cutesy over-the-top decor, a French-inspired Dallas mansion, thumbtacks cavalierly pressed into intricate millwork, Five-foot high-back sofas, seashell and turquoise striped backsplash, Valentine's Day trees, carrot chandeliers, and of course Walmart ads. Isla Rose's birthday candelabra never saw this coming. (laughs) How could I be so naive as to think we were at max capacity with the Kardashians' rose sculptures? A shocked and horrified KJP is quaking in his bean boots over these seasonal stylings. Help me, I need to snorkel my way through this. And I hope this was sufficient. Um, But speaking of the Kardashian rose sculptures... I was kind of laughing thinking like, because I was like, okay, who's, what's the inverse of this? That's not like a padded cell. Like what is minimalistic? And I was like, oh, Kim Kardashian was minimal monastery. We need a wife swap. Like that is my best case scenario. It's like, we have a minimal monastery. We have a tacky temple. What will these wives do in each other's presence? Will one declutter? Will one over-decorate and infuriate Kanye West and he'll tweet about it? What an interesting dynamic this would be. Oh, my other recent obsession that's Mormon adjacent. First, I want to thank our last sponsor. This one you know and love. We love Rothy's. We've worked with them for a long time. They are an incredible company. And taking your first steps into fall with comfortable, washable, sustainable products from Rothy's is the way to do it. I have a pair of what they are called like Chelsea booties that they're, they're leopard and they're adorable. And they look great with a chewed hem jean. And I really, really genuinely love them because... They're stylish and sustainable, and Rothy's makes shoes and bags for life on the go. And the best part is they're kind of carefully, they're crafted with these eco-friendly materials that are literally repurposed plastic water bottles um, and marine plastic. And somehow, still, they're so comfortable. They have zero break-in period because they have this knit-to-shape design. And literally, without blisters, without any discomfort, you can just, just put on their shoes and you're good to go. And that's so incredibly unusual. But they also, they have a brand new line of bags that are super cute. They have uh, new adjustable sneakers that are insanely comfortable. And I don't know, don't listen to me. Vogue, a little publication called Vogue, calls Rothy's a personal obsession. Health magazines have the most comfortable shoes on earth. Free shipping, free returns. And best of all, Rothy's has kept over 60 million single-use plastic bottles out of landfills and transformed them into their signature thread, which is knit into beautiful, sustainable products. Remember when the world was a simpler place and all we talked about was like straws and single-use plastics? 
channel that place and realize how important and cool it is for a company to prioritize sustainability in this way. And what an amazing thing it is that they're doing for, for landfills and for the environment. But anyway, try for yourself. You will love it. Go to rothys.com and check out all the amazing shoes and bags available right now at rothys.com slash be there in five. That is rothys.com, R-O-T-H-Y-S.com slash be there in five. Where style and sustainability meet to create your new favorites. Once again, head to rothys.com slash be there in five today. Okay, so the other Mormon adjacent thing I'm obsessed with. Well, obsessed is the wrong word. I'm just fascinated by it. And I don't know. It's, and something like horrible happened that I think is a really crazy story. But now I'm, I'm cursing myself because I unfollowed them. But now they went private. And now I can't see it, what they're up to. But I also didn't want to follow them because they, they were big contributors to like the QAnon nonsense. And then went on these like Trump rants and like or pro Trump rants and we're just like, it just was almost sounding like unhinged and uninformed. And I was just like, why are you? Oh, my God. Like that, that sort of spreading. I'm like, I can't cast a vote with this follow. I want to observe it. But I also can't like, I, you know, anyway, so I unfollowed and now they're private. And now I'm just left pending, not knowing how they're doing. But you might be familiar with them. This whole honestly, this whole category of um, bloggers that I'm interested in that are often Mormon in, in the Utah area. Are, uh, what are referred to as homesteaders, essentially subsistence farmers that want to live like Kirsten Larson on the frontier. Wait, I think it's White Shanty at home. Did I say White Shanty home? Anyway, I think, have I talked about them before? My fascination with them, well, so the awful thing that happened recently is that their house burned down. But the thing that I was fascinated by prior to the fire was this, they were, bu they were building this house themselves, like their entire family. But this, the fire was crazy and so sad, you know, and I guess what was hard, too, is they took artsy DSLR photos, which is odd. Uh, GoFundMe went up like the, the whole thing was like kind of, yeah, it's like a classic blogger tragedy where it's probably quite legit, but it's so weird to share so openly and into like almost uh, capture moments of like difficulty and despair that it seems manufactured even if it's probably not but the fact is when somebody shares their life for work that for some reason even in their lowest moments they're thinking of creating content which i think is just kind of disturbing to a lot of people and it makes you question the integrity of the event um so i don't really know what happened there but yeah this 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 homes this homestead subset of bloggers i'm like shining shimmering splendid how did i not know about this whole new world they are just, you know, living life, getting water with buckets, milking their own cows, like selling pigs. I, I, they wear like uh, uh, galoshes with overalls, but they're impossibly beautiful all the same. No makeup, have bangs, no mascara, yet look fresh as a daisy, uh, are trying to renovate farmhouses to their original form, which, you know, not to be that person, but typically I would renovate to modernize not regress back to the days of yore like i'm exaggerating but like follow one called ballerina farm that's interesting mormon went to juilliard was a ballerina uh was miss new york there's articles about her being miss new york and maintaining her uh, modesty and she's the only person in the pageant that wore a one piece and honestly i applaud that snaps for you love a one piece live in a one piece i only if i get there i get there in one piece um but her husband and her went to Brazil, like, after his mission or something. And 
saw how they treated pigs in Brazil and then wanted to become pig farmers. And now they're like full on pig farmers. And like, you can follow her stories and like watch her like milk her cows and watch the kids like forage for their own food. And they're renovating a farmhouse to be like, it's in its original form. And I swear to God, they're about to pull out the electrical. So they have to like, you know, peer around their house in the pitch black with a handheld candle and a nightcap like Ebenezer Scrooge. I feel like, they are a fascinating example of um, homesteaders that, like, like a true home, a true homesteader, like, wouldn't necessarily be an influencer, right? It's kind of like a regression to a lifestyle that doesn't really lend itself to content creation, but it's so fun to follow because I would never ever homestead. I wouldn't go camping for one night, much less devote my entire life to one giant camping trip where I have to find my own food and or kill it myself. What's interesting is that there's some relation between the white shanty at home person and ballerina farm. That I, it's a connection I can't quite. Somebody told me was it in the Facebook group or something? I'm forgetting. People DM me things all the time, and I'm like, wow, that's interesting. And then I forget, and then I can't find it. And then I spread misinformation rampantly. But I swear they're like in-laws or something. And White Shanty at Home is a blogger, I think, blogger, that was building what they called a little piece of England in Utah. And they were building this like old English stone manor house and no joke, by themselves and no joke, talked about how meaningful it was to watch their children lay the stones themselves and build the home it was like a romantic like a romanticizing of cash child labor and these kids were laying very heavy stones <laughs> to build their house and it's like a beautiful and weird i think that's how i feel about everything it's like i love the sentiment but it doesn't sit right in my gut and i'm kind of like i don't know for a structurally sound home like should you use contractors and not toddlers like do they really need to be like carrying heavy stuff? Like, do they understand what's happening? Uh, are they extracting meaning from this or are you, is it just for the photos? I don't know. I don't know anything about them. Um, but I followed along for a bit and there, it was like this kind of grand, beautiful structure of a home. It like it nestled in the mountains in Utah. It was very beautiful. And they said at nine 15, the husband left the work site where the home's being built and at 9.50 is when the first call came that, like, the entire house was up in flames. And there's still an open insurance investigation. And I don't know, like, what ultimately happened. I can't, like, here's the thing. It's like people can, you know, assume all they want about conspiracies of this nature. But, like, who's going to destroy their home? I mean, that's insanity. I just feel like nobody's, like, first instinct to get money is like casual stage arson and losing you know all of everything they have like it just doesn't make sense i feel really badly it's very tragic it's a true nightmare especially with so many children and like something you worked hard you know on with your own hands and anyway i'm sure it sucks but i think people were kind of weirded out by like their gofundme and that the house is valued at 2.5 million dollars and it's one of those things like of course if you have like friends or family in need like you want to do what you can sure they didn't set that up themselves um but yeah it's just kind of like they went private they're like blogs taken down i think the insurance investigation is still open something's like weird but i don't i don't know it's like it's the, the house it was kind of like not even close to finished and it's just like sad that the structure burnt um i don't know what they're gonna do again i can't see it my request is pending who's the other there's a homesteader i think called like five mary farm or something i'm very new to but i'm gonna start paying attention to 
Also, my interest comes from being at home recently and watching the show Homesteaders with my dad. It's educational, to say the least. What else am I obsessed with? Oh, yeah. I, was, I mean, this isn't, I mean, it's not that important. But you know me. Love to end it on a more serious note. Love to get on a, get on a high horse for a minute. Um, now, that's what I mean to. I just, I just think this stuff's so fascinating. And I think I breezed through in the context of Hillsong, but I'm not sure I specifically talked about this one document. I think it's quite interesting. I mean, as you know, I've talked about this before, but I think, you know, my interest in talking about religion has less to do with the spiritual piece and the beliefs piece and more to do with how religions run as businesses and the flawed humans that run these organizations and the blind trust people have for these people to act in a way that is like pure and is holy when really I think there's a huge opportunity for an abuse of power and the importance of not staying quiet about things like politics and religion so as to you know kind of oversee regulate and openly discuss what people see happening um and what i think is so interesting about the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints that has been emphasized by conversations i've had like phone conversations with listeners that are ex-mormons because i show you the glamorous life of and i also want to show the other side of people who are were on the inside or now are on the outside and what their experience was one of the conversations um, will be airing on Patreon, like I said, um, when I get it edited. Again, I know it's annoying to, for me to tease these things when I don't have them finished, and I'm sorry. Uh, but I, I, don't, I, don't have, I don't have a production company. One-man band as it relates to anything um, with the audio, and it just, I don't know, I just can't explain how long it takes to go through these things. And I was having so much fun, like, talking to this one girl, Kira, like, we were, like, having side conversations, then we get back on topic. Then we had side conversations, so I'd, like, look up some blogger she was talking about, and it was a blast, but I just need to, like, sift through the conversation. Um, she talked through, you know, some of her hang-ups that, you know, you'll hear, but one of the ones that just struck me was that her mother was not allowed to attend her wedding, because in the Mormon church, you have to get what's called a temple recommend and a temple recommend is contingent on upon a lot of factors but there are chapels and there are temples chapels are like their regular you know week-to-week -week services and like fellowship community stuff i gather but temples are those like grand buildings that you're not allowed in unless they're like under construction or open the first week i think for you know standard pedestrians um there are these beautifully constructed buildings where the ceremonies the sacraments the weddings the I think like the baptism of like deceased family members and ancestors or whatever. Um, there's like a, a sacred things that go on there, but you're not allowed in one unless you have a temple recommend. And while there's a lot of factors that lead into a temple recommend from your bishop, one of those things is being a full tithe member. Uh, every year you kind of have to go in and declare your tithe status. Full, partial, no tithe, I think, are the options. And... From what I understand from ex-Mormons who I've talked to and from reading the website is that a full tithe member, those are the only people that are granted temple recommends that are allowed to go to ceremonies like weddings that occur in the temples. And I think she mentioned maybe her mom was also a smoker or something. But regardless, it was two things that I think should have no bearing on an organization that claims that they are all about family values and holding a family member back from their own child's wedding. This is what I mean when I say extortion, it's like when you withhold something from somebody in exchange for money, it's a form of extortion, it just is. Uh, and I am fine with tithing. I am fine if that's how you, if that's the what you want to do with your money. My entire platform is life. In life, is do what you want as long as you have a choice. And I want people that are in situations where they don't even realize they never had one to think about it because 
let's say this is our one life. I want you to be able to live out your potential. And I want you to live openly and truthfully and not suppress an ounce of your being uh, if they're doing so only to seek the approval of others. Because you will get to an age where you just want to live and you just want to be free. And I don't want you to look back on your life feeling like you missed something. And I don't want people to live their lives to satisfy other people. The stories of people that marry, you know, get married young, but are in the closet, but are convinced that they can get rid of same-sex feelings or, you know, the drug abuse, the teen suicide rates. Like I, the, when I was doing Mormon Mommy Bloggers Part 2 and I read all these horrendous things, even though everyone's just like, get to the juice. Let's talk about Bird, like, you know, Shannon Bird in Oaxaca. I was like, I can't get past the human rights piece. Like I, I'm to this day think about this often. Um, you know, I'm going to get so many emails about people being like, it's not about the money. It's about the commitment. It's about the follow through. It's about Christ. It's about the money because if it wasn't about the money, it wouldn't be about the money. And you could be, you could be a full tithe member by doing other things. Absolutely. There's a difference between like the culture and doctrine and the culture within Utah and versus elsewhere. Every bishop's different. Every ward's different. I'm sure some places help people out more than others. I've talked about this on Instagram before, and I got harrowing DMs of stories about people being penalized for not being able to tithe. I see with my own two eyes on the website that it's basically like, you know, feed your family second. You, you need to tithe first. Like, even if you can't put food on the table, you need to pay the church your tenth. And it's just, it's, that's, that's a sort of red flag for me. It's the oldest trick in the book. You know, ignore logic and earthly formulas for what produces a return in favor of something cosmic that you'll hear people refer to anecdotally. But like, if that was a thing, the, the people, the, it's like, it's one of those things where these type of tactics prey on vulnerable people that almost have to hope for a cosmic shift in the universe for things to work in their favor. And that's so sad to me that the very little money they have, the very little that they have to support their own families that the church feels comfortable taking from them and feels comfortable putting in their own literature and writing the importance of tithing before you feed your family. I, I think that is, is truly, truly unethical and bizarre. And it's, again, not anything to do with your beliefs, but it's commentary on how these churches like run as businesses. And whenever anybody, you know, tells me something anecdotally or kind of tries to dismiss the validity of this issue, and I get that it's difficult to separate when You've known something your whole life in your own parish, in your own priest, in your own positive experience. And I think there comes a time where you have to be an adult and say, my positive experience does not negate somebody else's negative one. Uh, where you have to take some things and leave others. Nothing operates in that much of a vacuum. Nothing is that simple. Black or white, you don't have to, it's not O-Town's all or nothing. Like, it's okay to <laughs> agree that there are some missteps and some issues and still be a part of something. And I think the second you know you are a part of the wrong thing is when that is not allowed. When doubt, when pushback, when opportunities for improvement, when these things are highlighted in an organization you are a part of, especially a paying member of, a devout believer in, and that sort of feedback or, you know, dissent is not only discouraged but not allowed, or beyond that, you're penalized for it. My God. That is an issue. <laughs> like, I, I'm, I'm so fascinated by people that won't let themselves or anybody else doubt something that they're a part of in the slightest. Because I think that the mark of a red flag situation is the absence of doubt. I, I think uh, the mark of somebody who's being a bit brainwashed is a, a, a bizarre certitude relative to the subject matter having an inherent uncertainty. So please never misconstrue my doubts as a blatant attempt at disrespect as a targeted effort 
when rather I'm a person who was in very religious institutions who's put a lot of thought to this, having gotten out of it, and I try to observe on the outside what I see, how I see people talk about this elsewhere, makes me sick because, and I feel this way too about like a Hillsong or a, a megachurch that overvalues tithing and pressures people into it and says, if you are in debt and if you are struggling, the only way you will be blessed with more money is to give us money. It's it's disgusting. And a lot of these evangelical Christian organizations like the televangelists that prey on elderly people, I mean, like, it, it honestly, it fills me with rage to no end. And I know there's a spectrum, but like, it just... I don't know. I always think back to what I learned in like early days, childhood Bible school. You feel loved, you feel protected. It's like, Jesus loves you, this I know, this little light of mine, right? Like, it, it, Jesus cared for you're tired, you're poor, you're hungry, you're broken. But then when uh, there's church policies under the guise of like all that is faithful, pure, and holy, being like, no, bring us your wealthy, you're well fed, you're lawfully wedded, you're well behaved. And that is who's worthy of being our, in our house of worship. I'm like, wow, 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 missing the point. <laughs> like, I, 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 there is no planet in which you can send me all the emails you want. I will never think that's okay. And to reiterate, like, the difference here is you can tithe if you want, but it, it, you're withholding something in the Mormon church. It is, it's considered mandatory, it's optional in every other church I know. Um, even if strongly encouraged, even if you're kind of pressured. Even at the Hill songs, it's not you're not withheld from anything if you don't tithe. You're just kind of manipulated to get you to do it in the first place. But there isn't a consequence. Like the consequence, I think it's what's wild to me. But I haven't even gotten to why it's so wild yet. We're at two hours, but anyways, you can you can wrap, you can end if <laughs> if you don't want to continue. I totally understand. But whatever, this is a long form podcast. I, I do want to talk about this whistleblower document because again, I am, I'm having trouble remembering what I went into and when. Um, but I don't remember having read this document and it's just, it's interesting to me. And I think it's an important thing to keep in mind, not in terms of like watch out for Mormons or anything, but in terms of the, structurally what 501c3s and their supporting organizations, how they're set up and the tax exempt status and the lack of disclosures and kind of the implications of these organizations that are supposed to be charitable and the watchouts of how they actually allocate their funds and, you know, you hear things about, like, the Susan G. Comans of the world, like, that completely, like, so there's, the overhead is so alarming that when you're donating, you're essentially going to so little humanitarian work because they're kind of these big marketing machines. And not, I don't know if they've changed their ways. That was a big story at one point. But you really do have to go look at the disclosures and filings of these, of these charities and make sure that what you're giving money to is actually going to, to research, to humanitarian work, to the cause, etc., when a lot of charities, they don't necessarily spend their money wisely. And unfortunately, some don't do it ethically. And in this case, I think it's so odd that people are okay with this. And I just I just need to talk about it. Because <laughs> there's a, a document from a whistleblower that's a mem- that was a member of the LDS Church. Issued like a 74-page filing to the IRS about this supporting organization that's part of the LDS Church called the EPA. That um, made zero religious, educational, or charitable distributions in 22 years and has amassed a fortune upward of $100 billion. I mean, like, serious, serious money. Their point is, like, they're kind of taking advantage of, like, the nuance of the the type of registration it has and that it doesn't have to publicly disclose any of its filings. Um, and the, the guy is, like, pr- pr- basically proves through the documents that the tithing the surplus of tithing dollars was used to fund things like malls. Like, why Why does a church need to fund a mall? That's crazy to me. What you want to do with your money is your choice. 
I'm not against tithing. I'm against mandatory tithing and extortion of church activities based on your tithing status. And I'm also against uh, non-disclosure of where the funds go to from the church to its members, which the LDS church hasn't done since 1959. So I know I'm going to get emails about even saying this every time I do, people get mad. If, if this is not the case, show me the documents. <laughs> I'm reading from a Newsweek article. I'm not like making stuff up. What was the, was it maybe Inside Amy Schumer? There's a sketch that they were doing like a fake housewives reunion and this one housewife just the whole time was like, check the tape, check the tape, check the tape, check the tape. Every time somebody's like, that's not true. And I'm like, check the tape. Like, if, if, like you're believing what people tell you. You're not actually being shown official documentation. And why not? If there's nothing to hide, why not? It's, it's more than normal to set aside money for savings, a rainy day, to have a fund that, like, you know, you're essentially hedging against any uncertainties that come your way. In any other context, a donor knows and can dictate where their funds are going. The lack of uh, transparency that people are okay with on the church's behalf when they are mandated to tie 10% to be allowed to fully participate in all of the church's activities, ceremonies, and sacraments, you know, because that includes things that happen at the temple. If you're required to tithe 10% of your income, but they aren't required to disclose what they do with the money, yet they're given tax-exempt status for being a charity, yet we they, there is absolutely no proof or disclosure of if they're actually giving money to charity and this guy whistleblows saying zero dollars has been donated to charity from this specific fund it's kind of like what am i missing here why do why wouldn't members of the church care about this and again like i said i am fine with funds for a rainy day i'm fine with reserves it's part of your belief system to prepare for the second coming then great i would question the amount that's necessary for that and the means to get that amount of money but even if you know th that aside it's just, I just feel like people will often compare this to something that is akin to an endowment, and I just find it to be completely different. Because when another charity organization, university, whatever, is sitting on an endowment fund, um, and part of it, sure, is to save for any day and to exist in perpetuity and whatever other value people get out of having some sort of savings, even though I'd argue that current needs should be more of a priority, but I'm no financial expert. And I know a lot of people would disagree with that. I just am like, ah, I have trouble like when uh, the world is in flames and people are like saving, you know, charities, organizations, huge funds that have huge means that could help so many people are like, still sitting on a pile of cash saving for a rainy day. I'm like, it is the rainy day. Like, look around, look around how unlucky we are to be alive right now. But like in an endowments case, for example, when they're just like sitting on a lot of cash to exist or save for a rainy day, that can be a part of a 501c3. The donors are building the reserve. The donors are reported out on the reserves. And moreover, the donors dictate which of the funds are restricted and must and cannot, you know, unequivocally cannot be used uh, without their explicit permission. Pretty sure that Richard and Emily Gilmore, uh, you know, when they donated the Rory Gilmore Astronomy Building, they could not have taken those funds and made it the Rory Gilmore parking garage. You know? I mean, they're different. There's unrestricted funds. There's restricted funds. There's all sorts of different nuance that, uh, here. That And I don't know all the ins and outs, but I do know that it's, it's, you know, pretty standard if you are going to get donations, which essentially are what tithes are, uh, that you have to have full transparency and disclosure about their usage. And this whistleblowing document, point being, uh, was proving the use of surplus tithes to pay for things like malls, you know, other real estate, agricultural ventures, this robust stock portfolio. This is a reserve of reserves. 
they do humanitarian work and like i'm sure it exists elsewhere but his point was like this is like this top secret thing that's kind of using every loophole in the book a hundred billion dollars this is serious change that is all of the perks of a 501c3 in this supporting organization i believe it's a 509 mm, a3 and the nature of religious organizations is that they do not have to disclose their books not only like to the government i don't think but like to their members so it's just not the same you i just don't equate it to being like well everyone has reserves and rainy day funds and blah blah blah. like yeah sure but they typically have a full transparency policy with their donors who get to dictate exactly where their funds go it is so weird to me to say no you are not allowed to see where your tithing goes but you have to do it it's wrong it's wrong i don't i hate it i hate it you can there can be things about an organization you don't like and it's okay to say that and you can raise concerns without it having to you know compromise what you believe and if nobody lets you raise concerns if you're not allowed to doubt if you're not allowed to seek improvement you've got yourself a red flag and i think some places are probably more open than others and the people i spoke to's experience that was not the case they were penalized forever raising concerns and um, i just think you have to be very mindful of the level of behavioral and informational control people have over you and the freedom of thought you're allotted within the organization you know i think i find it alarming when there's like an active discouraging of any seeking of outside information any you know reading of dissenting opinions i just want you to be careful and to watch out for yourself um i'm not even speaking to any one group just like from experience like having to like sort my thoughts on that it's like i talked about earlier closing thoughts I've become more comfortable talking about religion, especially through this podcast, because the older I get, the more I, I genuinely do feel like topics are labeled taboo and it's positioned as, you know, if something is so deeply important to somebody and who they are, like politics, like religion, and you insult them, it attacks the very fiber of their being to an irreparable place. It's so disrespectful. You should not even breach the topic. You cannot risk the snags in, in those fibers, the snags in the forms of conversations and disagreeing opinions and dialogue that might compromise these things so deeply woven into your life. When I argue the most important conversations I've ever had, the most transformative moments of my life have been dialogues about uncomfortable conversations that did snag the fiber of my being. And I am so grateful for the people that were instrumental in their unraveling because Sometimes we don't even realize the constructs of our beliefs have very little to do with our own thoughts and instincts and experiences. So often we don't even realize how much of what we know and what we believe and how we act is a product of outside influence. And I think sometimes deep down we want to be changing our minds and evolving and people around us might not let you. And, you know, my life changed when I had more diverse friends and I moved to a bigger city and I, I'm... You know, I started to have these, you know, more in-depth conversations and hear about people's lives and their traumas, their experiences of discrimination, their, uh, you know, the, the horrors they experienced when they were coming out, the, these things that people go through that if you're not in their circumstances, your empathy is somewhat hypothetical. But as I always say, like, I, I really believe that anytime something directly affects you or directly affects somebody you love and is explained to you in like a firsthand way, you cannot move forward in your life without bringing that empathy with you and without advocating in some way for that group because 
you can now understand it in a way that before it just seemed like, like theoretical, you know, and that sort of vulnerability and sharing amongst friends, amongst acquaintances, whether at a dinner party in an office, whatever, well, you sure risk the danger of a complete breakdown in communication. You also could be robbing, you know, both of you of the opportunity to, to have a breakthrough and to understand each other a little better, if not just for your own personal benefit of your camaraderie, but also um, in terms of how a person might carry that into their lives, beliefs, the way they, you know, spend their money, the way they vote, the things, the things that matter that ultimately, you know, on a small scale, day to day, person to person might seem nominal, but in aggregate make a huge difference to the type of society we want to be in. And I think openness and vulnerability and transparency and allowing, you know, people to disagree and asking questions about grandfathered organizations that have always run the way they've run. And the only excuse they have for the way they've run it is that that's the way we've always done it. And that's not that's not OK. I, I think going into these next two tense months, just some food for thought. Don't ever let anybody shame you for your desire to pursue your curiosity, to open yourself up to other ways of thinking, to ask questions when you think something doesn't look right. You are entitled to seek the information you need to feel comfortable with your own decisions. And I just think that, you know, whenever I get in this situation where I'm talking about religion, even though I think there's so many elements of faith that I acknowledge are so important to people, the restrictive elements concern me deeply. I just always, always, always want to encourage freedom of thought, point out the issue of blindly following something or being encouraged to blindly follow follow something or somebody suggesting that you have to be all or nothing and that you that omission is a thing like you can pursue your own interests beliefs and education and you don't have to tell everyone about it you know what i mean like it, it just, if you just let yourself learn and let yourself grow and evolve and don't let yourself just be a function of the organizations you subscribe yourself to the risk of being, I don't want to, again, get like Rachel Hollis, motivational speaker, cheeseball Pinterest, modern calligraphy quote on a pastel airbrush background. Um, but I really do think that the, the notion of comfort zones is like a thing and um, you meet yourself when you step outside them. You really do. And I've experienced it time and time again. And I just think we're in a very heightened, there's a, this is just a time when like, like group think and like pressure to identify with the people around you and agree with them is going to be higher than ever and people judging you for not agreeing with them will be higher than ever and i just want you to know that that is okay better than okay it's brave and better than brave it is important as a you know a contributor to our democracy as a voting citizen that you are doing what you think is best and not what somebody else told you is best we took a real real hard hard left <laughs> <laughs> from werewolf bar mitzvah sp spooky scary whatever the heck we were talking about oh uh, turtle creek lane i don't know i hope you had a good time i always like to you know we like range we, li we like to talk about the light and the heavy hopefully we came full circle um i really enjoyed talking to you today i hope you enjoyed listening friendly reminder the first 45 minutes of the finding freedom harry and megan recap is on patreon so at the very least, you can hear the first part of it. The full thing will be on iTunes when it can be. Um, and their interview with the ex-Mormon should be up in the next week. I'm toying with the idea of everyone's doing like virtual shows right now. And I kind of like actually love the idea of doing that. Because <clears throat> it's people from all over the place that I'd normally never get in a room. 
it's not really, it's less of like a cash grab and more like I'd love to test some material. And while you'd think technically this podcast is a live show, I actually, the live show they would do are very different from this or the PowerPoint party. And I withhold material for it. Who knows? I'm, I don't know, guys. We'll see. Um, I just, you know, I, the vert, I just, you know, we've been so virtual for so long. Uh, it's kind of crazy when you think about it. And I, and I miss that sort of uh, touch point of engagement. That was so fun to do for a while. But anyway, if you want to rate review five stars, it would mean the world to me. That's how people get in the iTunes charts. It's new subscribers, new reviews, not necessarily downloads. Um, so helpful. You don't even have to write something. You can just click five stars <clears throat> right in iTunes or I think on Stitcher too. Um, and if you liked this episode, share with a friend. It would mean a lot to me. And tag me if you're private or send me a screenshot if you're private because I can't see. And as always, if you need to reach me, uh, podcast to be there in vibe.com. For the upcoming Kate Lila, call 312-379-9676. It is also in the, uh, a, a highlight under podcast in my Instagram. And um, also, if you need to reach me and like really reach me, email Courtney. <laughs> Courtney at be there in 5com who handles everything for me. Um, she is a she is my favorite person in the world and she has changed my life and keeps me organized and I love her so much um, so anyway you guys I hope you have a wonderful week I hope you take very good care of yourself I hope you you know f- from all the stresses in the world find your escape and if that escape is a tablescape that's amazing if that escape is listening to this podcast God bless whatever it is take good care of yourself I love you so much please come back next week And as always, let me know your thoughts, and I will let you know mine. I'll be there in five. I swear.